The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. Inside the gold mine, your guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight we're talking the golden age of porn. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, we're all waiting for our uh, co-host, Louis Paul, here. I'm totally discombobulated. My apologies to everyone. <laughs> All right, so tonight we're taking a break from our usual cult horror orientation to visit the final frontier of independent underground cinema, kicking off with a nod to its roots in the burlesque loop and the short-lived but entertaining early 60s nudie-cutie craze. We're talking to the surprisingly mainstream era of porno chic, when everyday couples and trendy hipster types would venture into the seedy, sticky-floored limehouses of Times Square and the like, taking wallet, jewelry, and life in hand to catch the latest hardcore effort to share their experiences with like-minded friends and maybe learn a new technique or two in the process. Join us tonight as we speak to the days when fallen and occasionally rising cult film auteurs and slumming theatrical types join forces to express post-hippie idealism in the attempt to create some measure of art amidst the lowest and most unsavory of companions and financiers with the threat of arrest and wage impoundment hanging over their heads at all times. So while we wait for our co-host to arrive... I will shoot you some ads for other shows on the network. So stay tuned. You are listening to Moving Towards Light. Stay tuned. What is At Eye Level? A reductive ad absurd and look at the headlines, from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and <laughs> yes, uh, we are here and discombobulated after a couple of weeks off air. 
<laughs> so uh, with me here is my co-host, Louis Paul. Yes, yes, I'm here. Uh, sorry for the two-minute delay. I know you're all waiting patiently. Um, I don't know. We, we tried to actually figure out our audio difficulties, and I was in, and then I was out. But I'm here. <laughs> so that's, that's what's important right now. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I didn't have my script up. Everything was just kind of a wreck. So here we are, folks. This is uh, Radio on the Fly. Uh, so, yes, uh, like I said, tonight we're going to be going into the uh, the world of uh, porno chic from the 70s through the mid-80s, I guess. And uh, we'll be starting off a bit talking about, very briefly, about the burlesque film uh, and loops as they were. Uh, and then going into a period that I'm uh, fairly familiar with, which is the early 60s nudie cuties, uh, which mostly came out of Florida. Uh, so I guess without any further ado, uh, we will start tapping into that. So in terms of the burlesques, uh, those who are not aware, I'm sure there's like five of you out there on the planet that aren't aware of this. Uh, <laughs> basically, they were 1950s. Actually, no, going back to the 30s, really. Uh, but generally, even though there was stuff going on throughout the 40s, most of the burlesque loops and um, most of the things that people associate with burlesque, per se, was in the 50s. And you had people like Benny Page, who everybody knows, even people that know nothing about burlesque know Benny Page. Uh, Tempest Storm, Lily St. Cyr. Uh, I mean, there were big names out there among the you know hundreds and thousands of practically nameless strippers, uh, all of whom went by some silly pseudonym or other. Uh, and some of which uh, I, I know I've seen several where they had the exact same pseudonym, but were clearly you know seven different women. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I guess yeah, yeah, got recycled too. over and over and over again. Like, oh look, it's the Golden V or you know, whatever. Uh, one thing that was interesting about this was. I guess the guys who were putting these shows on, you know, the guys who earned these burlesque theaters, uh, you know, and again, it's kind of like when you're dealing with strip bars and stuff, it's sort of in this gray area where is it legal? Is it going to get busted? Eh, you know, I guess it's okay. Most cops will overlook it. Maybe they get kicked back, whatever. Um, but it was sort of in the gray area. And the guys that were running it, you know, sometimes they were just some low-end uh, CD entrepreneur. I guess like the equivalent of like from Code Red, you know, it's like, hmm, it's kind of skirting uh, <laughs> the boundaries of legality there, but all right, fine. Uh, and sometimes you actually had like mobster types, you know, gangsters, and whatever the hell else were fun in these clubs. And they discovered that another way to make money on this and, you know, in perpetuity and also save money because they didn't have to hire as many strippers and do as much of a show. Because if you see your older ones in the 40s, a lot of times they'll actually do big dance numbers and they have musicians and all this crap. So they took most of that crap out and said, you know what, why don't we just condense our local burlesque show? We'll film a couple of these. And often they would just film the girls themselves doing their routine as a short, and they'd sell these as loops, and you could go to places, you know, whatever, whether it was like at the Penny Arcade or, you know, at the end you know, of a pier kind of a thing, you know, when you're going to a carnival or, mm-hmm. you know, walking the boardwalk, or whether it was actually, you know, a porno place like, you know, Peep World or whatever the hell it is kind of deals, uh, and they would run these loops. They were usually silent, of course. And you would see these women do their acts. But they also made just as many as they made of these loops. Uh, well, not just as many, but obviously it was just as big a, a deal. They made full movies of the, the stage shows. And they would take these things and play them 
through audiences. So they still have a paying audience sitting there, but instead of hiring whatever it was, 10 or 15 strippers and, you know, comedians or whatever else, they could say, you know what, I'll just run this damn film here. We have like a super long intermission and maybe they hire two strippers and one comedian or something like that. And that would be a full night for you. Uh, so people like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you said Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my wife won't like that one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but no, 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 no. It wasn't just on that. But I'm thinking for a moment. Oh, the strippers and the Canadians. I got it. <laughs> well, you know, when we went up to Niagara Falls for a honeymoon, uh, when you go just a little bit outside the main strip and all that, uh, sure enough, the first thing you're going to wind up going to is it's sort of like a almost like a trailer park area. You can tell it's really run down. It's past like the beer stores and all this crap. And then all of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of strip bars with trailer parks right across the street where all the girls come from that work there. Uh, so, yeah, it, it does happen up there as well, and there definitely is a market for it, at least in areas like, you know, just outside Niagara Falls. Uh, but anyway, back to the point. Uh, these movies were preserved by – basically by Mike Franey. I don't know if anybody else really did this. Uh, found all the crap in some warehouses. You know, he was like scouring New York City warehouses and whatever else. You know, Times Square, whatever else, crap down the basements. And they'd already run the the gamut. You know, those of you who read Sleazoid Express know how they went from one theater to the next theater to the next theater before they got down to the end, the scummiest theater where they showed the rattiest prints and they were all missing pieces and everything else. And then they just, you know, they didn't know what to do with them, so they just sat around. And, I guess in a warehouse in the basement somewhere. Uh, and he had gotten wind of these deals. I don't know if some Harry Novak or whoever, uh, the Freeman, who knows. Uh, and he put these things out starting in really in the 80s, I think, but definitely through the 90s with VHS and then into the 2000s and, you know, I guess until he died uh, with DVD with image. Uh, so you can see some of these things usually as extras at the end of a disc um, or it's, if you got his DVDs at the end of his movies. But, you know, you can actually buy them. They have sets out there. You can put a couple of them out there and a couple of twofers, you know, like the Benny Page ones, Teaser Rom and all that stuff. Uh, and basically, anybody who's not seen these sort of things, you get a variety of strippers, obviously. But you'd be surprised how much of this is comedians. So we're talking about stuff like uh, almost like a half-assed Abner Costello meets uh, Three Stooges meets the Marx Brothers. And actually, if you go back historically – all of those acts got their start with burlesque. Uh, I mean, everybody probably knows about yeah. Minsky's. You know, they had that movie, uh, Night at Minsky's, where it was rated Minsky's uh, back in the 50s. Uh, that was what this was. It was a burlesque show. And all these comedians would get their start there, like Ted Healy with his Stooges and whatever the hell else, the Marx Brothers, going back to the 20s. So this is how far back this stuff goes. Um, but... You know, so you would get as you see these fifty films, you start seeing people over and over again. Usually, the ones that we see and enjoy. Uh, so, I guess the guys who are a little bit more, um, I guess they, they hone their craft better. Let's put it that way. Uh, was a fellow named Charlie Crass, uh, who was later in Edwards Glen or Glenda, believe it or not. Uh, and he's usually the host in the Straight Man, uh, the MC, if you will. And then there was a fellow named Little Jack Little who was a midget, <laughs> and he was kind of like a Billy Barty type. Uh, was not averse to really getting himself in stupid situations, you know, winding up dressed in drag, having shit poured on his head, whatever. Any old slapstick thing to try to make the audience laugh. Uh, so 
they are this sort of strange amalgamation of you know the the sex factor, I guess, and this kind of what at the time was accepted as you know broad based uh, comedy. And you know there were gentlemen's clubs. I don't really see women going to these sort of things, but it could happen. You know, somebody could bring a date there, especially if she's a little more open-minded or a little rent. <laughs> but uh, generally mm-hmm. speaking, these were quote gentlemen's clubs, just like a strip bar. Uh, and you know, like I said, there's lots and lots of these things. Any, anybody who's seen something where VHSs or DVDs or you know the the image stuff that he put out or whatever uh, is probably well familiar with those. Uh, but from those, after they kind of faded out, you know, through the later 50s, I guess, um, the next thing that people sort of picked up on was this idea of the nudie cutie. And, uh, you know, feel free to jump in if you want to throw anything in here. But No, you're, of, you're, you're, going, you're going great guns. I'm going to jump in in a minute. Go ahead. Most of this stuff uh, seemed to originate from Florida. Uh, you had, I think, I think everybody says that he was the first, Russ Meyer in 59 with uh, The Immoral Mr. T's, uh, and then later even The Handyman uh, were both his. Um, then you had people picking up on this. Basically what it was, was it was just an excuse to go and peep on girls. Uh, they were generally rather short. Uh, they may, not necessarily all music, but there's less soundtrack in terms of people talking. Than music, uh, and basically, it's the, it's totally an excuse to see naked girls. And as these things started to develop throughout the later fifties, and especially in the sixties, um, you would see different types. Like there was uh, ones like like Wow, for instance, where this guy's got these X-ray glasses, so everybody who walks around town or whatever goes and does some. You know, he's like a traveling salesman. So he walks in some girl, and all of a sudden, oh, there she's with her clothes off. No, she's going to back on. Uh, substitution is another one like that. A whole bunch of these things. It turns out that the people that produced the most of these, they really became known for it. Uh, a lot of them actually had cult film careers, like, for instance, Russ Meyer, uh, who did a lot of films, but of course was known as the uh, the doyen of the female breast. <laughs> and I, as far as I'm concerned, the only real movie he did worth a damn, other than uh, the one he did with Ebert there, movies that uh, Beyond the Bell of the Dolls, which is just a hilarious camp classic. If, if you haven't seen it, it's really uh, it's worth seeing. Uh, was the one with Toro Satana in it uh, that everybody loves. And I can't oh, Faster Pussycat. Yeah. Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill, uh, Haji, yeah. and um, Toro Satana, and some blonde girl. I don't know who the hell it was. Uh, <laughs> you know, being blondes these days. If, but, if uh, I may, though, I want, I want to point out something, though. Um, be, with the burlesque and with these, they were called nudie cuties. Uh, I, that's a retrospective name given to them. I, I don't right. know what they were called contemporary to the time, but that's what we're calling them now. You saw everything but yes. one thing, and you, you never saw, well, for lack of a better term, Bush. You never saw right. pubic hair. And 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 uh, you saw in some very maybe forward strip routines. You might have seen early versions of what may be known as, what is what is that thing called? You know, that the ladies wear that we really like, thongs. Yes. On the back end, showing yes. lots of ass. Yep. But yeah, it's going to be that kind of show, people. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you did not see here, and that was like verboten. That was right. like the forbidden thing. It's the because same thing that goes on with Japan, where they have that nonsense. I mean, they might have gotten rid of it with the mosaics, 
because and they had things like they would have, especially in the eighties, they would have women at least on posters showing a lot of armpit hair, and that's supposed to substitute for what they couldn't show legally. Uh, and that's why with these movies, if they had shown you know full frontal, they would have gotten busted and raided and whatever else. So to not get arrested and just skirt the very borderline of legality, they were you know they did topless, you saw their asses, you saw whatever, uh, but not that. But you so, did not. But not that. But I do want to say just briefly that this does not mean to say because they have surfaced and you know you. People who wanted to see them have seen them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're silent, of course, but uh, very uh, privately traded pornos. Um, usually people had money, gentlemen's clubs. Uh, we're talking full-on hardcore sex. The men are mm-hmm. ugly, the women are ugly, but the men are rich. <laughs> um, these things are in really bad, battered shape. Um, yep. But privately traded pornos were made. Oh, yeah. But, well, actually, okay. Mm-hmm. Please. Uh, well, I was going to say they were actually being made since the turn of the century. I'm not talking French postcards. Oh yeah, right. Exactly. Because yeah. there are companies out there. I'm not going to name labels, but that have put these things out, and I've had them for years. Going back to you know they go back to the 1920s, but it goes earlier than this, where they got from some rich, like you said, some French guy's collection. Uh, he mm-hmm. had all these preserved stag reels that were silent. You know, it was long before silent film came along. Of these, you know, basically mm-hmm. guys going to French prostitutes in a brothel, and then they do some kind of thing like you know one time he's wearing a Santa Claus mask or whatever it is. They'll have like a little skit, but basically it's just you know porn. Um, so, but, yeah, they, yeah, but they did go outdoors, too. They did uh, oh, yeah. those that were a little bit more, yeah. So that did exist. That did exist. But it's like the thing that was known, but we can't do anything with that. And I think exactly. in a way, the the uh, burlesque shows, which you so really well you know, discussed, um, was a way for them to, like, well, this is as much as we can do without being thrown in jail for the rest of our lives, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> Exactly. Um, at this point, at this point, and um, so you know, I, I sorry to interrupt with that, but you, so no. you were going on with Russ Meyer and the nudie cuties. Yeah, so I basically finished with Russ Meyer, but other people that were just almost well, equally as well known because everybody sort of knows Russ Meyer, even you know, quote straight people, you know, regular society, if you will, knows who Russ Meyer is. They've heard that name. Uh, they know that he likes boobs. <laughs> it's just kind of a a common thing in uh, discourse, I guess. Uh, but you have people like Doris Wishman was a huge person on these nudie cuties early on. Herschel Gordon-Lewis was huge on these early on. Uh, and then you had people that specialized in a little more. Uh, Barry Mayen, who later on went to do children's films. I, I, mean, I can name some of these off uh, afterwards. But and it's some crazy. religious things come. Yeah. religious thing comes, too. Uh, yeah. And there was people that were sort of circling around the uh, the toilet bowl, if you will, uh, like Sandy Johnson, who was a director and starred in some of these. Um, yeah. People that were you know starlets that you would see constantly in these things. Gigi Darlene, you know, people might know who she is. Uh, pretty sort of beefy but pretty German girl. Uh, the Bennett sisters, they were freaking ubiquitous. Uh, they wound up in Mayan films. They wound up in Wishman films. They wound up in Roberta Finley films and Michael Finley films. Uh, they wound up in Chuck Smith films. Chuck Smith, C.W. Smith, who worked on a lot of um, Wishman films for cinematography, which is hilarious if you've seen a Wishman film, say cinematography. And, and, uh, but and, he did his as well. But, uh, 
I think, and I think as these 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 movies went on, and you know, these these had plots. And, you know, we started bearing into plots, and yeah. sadism started to. We're still talking black and white folks, and sadism started to rear its head. The Curse of Her Flesh series, those yeah. uh, that trio. I think it's a trio of films by uh, Michael and Roberta Finley. Um, um, they were originally attributed to someone else. I forgot who. Uh, but, you know, over time we've learned that they were the people behind them. Um, nasty movies, you know. So you got your, yeah. uh, you know, you've got your uh, naked well, flesh. And uh, what was happening there is, and I didn't quite get there yet, was the uh, a lot of these nudist things, they were designed mm-hmm. around. And we had British ones as well. I've got British ones that were pretty mm-hmm, decent. Yes. Uh, by people who later went into the slap and tickle films, and we'll address that when we talk to those people. Uh, but basically, it was well. Look, there's, nudist camps were popular at the time. It was kind of a um, sort of a yes, cross between a health yes. resort and like you get with Wicca, you know, like the Gardnerians and stuff, where they, they've got this sort of kinky thing that they want to work out. But at the same time, they could you know use the excuse, oh, it's my religion, or here it's my health thing for for the nudist. Uh, so that's kind of what it was. So you started having. Uh, a lot of these nudist camps popping up everywhere, you know, anywhere it was warm. Um, yeah, very yeah. interesting, because I remember I dated a gardenerian briefly, and uh, it was an uh, <laughs> interesting thing to be in. You know. Pull out the scourge. <laughs> Give the five-fold kiss. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Gerald Gardner was a kinky old man, but that's another story. Uh <laughs> The thing is that you a lot of these things they, they discovered that they could get access to these nudist camps. I don't know how they finagled it, but remember these people were basically hucksters. You know, they were the equivalent of carnies yeah. and salesmen, they call salesmen. So they got access to these nudist camps, and what they would discover a lot of times when they went there, even though they could use these places and the, you know people that were there. Um, that a lot of them were not uh, in the best shape, you know, because a lot of these people were older, you know, a lot of them were just, you know, mm-hmm. suburban types there, you know, might be some middle-aged uh, housewife and their husband with a big beer belly and whatever. Uh, so they started bringing into them with the, the rest of these nudists people that were basically either strippers or young girls that didn't mind taking their clothes off. And they would starlight them, you know. They, they would highlight them, and that's where you got people like we were talking about here, like uh, the Bennett sisters and um, uh, Gigi Darlene, and uh, who else was there? Nadja Svensson uh, and Audrey Campbell, which kind of ties into what you're talking about before. Uh, but what happened was these things kind of died out relatively fast, which is a shame because. It, I really enjoy these things. My wife loves them. They're very kind of bucolic. There's like this weird hypnotic quality about them where it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of nice. And you know, instead of watching it for like, oh yeah, let's see some naked bodies where which was, you know, the the goal of these things back in 1960, 1961, 1962. 1963. They're charming. Uh, I, I find them charming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's horrible. If they couldn't swipe it from public domain classical music, then they would get something like you mentioned. It's just kind of goofy, whatever. And these people, what happens is they go to these rundown camps. These camps were disgusting if you look at the way they were maintained. Uh, you know, like yeah. a dirty, algae-filled pool with all the tiles were coming up. You know, weeds breaking through, whatever the hell else. They've got like a shed there that looks like a bomb hit. It was worse than a crack house. Uh, then they'll have sometimes like, uh, what was it, the the monster, the Beast of Kill Women, or uh, you know, Beast of Camp Sunshine, uh, which also came out uh, from something weird there. 
you'll have people staying in these horrible little, almost like summer camp kind of uh, sheds with mm-hmm. bunks, you know, these metal bunks like on top of each other. And that's that was their place, and you would pay a certain fee every year to go and be able to go there and you know walk around nude. And uh, they would what was strange is these places are all overgrown. They're probably full of snakes. There's always like a river or something nearby, and or a pond. And these people are playing volleyball. They're playing tennis. I saw one or two of they are actually throwing darts. I'm like, really darts? You're naked. Uh, <laughs> you know, and ridiculous. And they would film this stuff for these movies. And of course, if the company was facing you, whether it was guys or girls, all of a sudden that one side that was facing you would have their underwear on, but the side that was facing mm-hmm. away from you could be naked, so you just see their butts. Uh, so it's really kind of funny and charming in its own strange way. Uh, but what came, this kind of died out quickly. The the public, I guess, got sick of them really fast. So what came out of this as a sort of an offshoot was whether it came from Dave Friedman, whether it came from Herschel Gordon-Lewis, you know, where it really showed up, who knows? It's arguable. Uh, But you had things like you were mentioning about the Finley's early films, uh, which, you know, Roberta says was all Michael and his obsessions. We talked about that when I had her Mm -hmm. on there. And you had people that popped up afterwards, like, you know, Stan Borden, Joseph P. Maurer, uh, and they would do things like the Olga films, which are infamous to this day. Uh, There was a fellow that's obviously pseudonymous, still came out of Stan Borden's workshop because it's got that feel, uh, that sort of seedy New York feel that feels Finley, that feels Maurer, uh, named Peter Woodcock. <laughs> and films that were basically lesbian versions of these, you know. But basically, what they started doing was uh, instead of just the nudie bits, they became roughies. And that's what happens. You have people doing fake tortures and, in Finley's case, fake murders. And, you know, basically, it's all carol syrup and whatever. But sometimes it can get distasteful. I mean, watching some of Michael's films, and Michael Finley is like. Ooh, and especially the Flesh Trilogy, like you had mentioned. They're entertaining as hell. They're totally screwed up, but it's more of like um, uh, almost like a psychology test. And it is like, oh, yeah, this is fun. Let's show this to friends. If you show this to friends, they'll probably lock you up. (laughs) They'll never talk to you again. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But that kind of was an offshoot. But really what I was talking about here was more of the nudie cuties per se. And those died off pretty quickly as well, the roughies. Although they still have their antecedents today and torture porn and all that crap, which I just won't touch. Uh, people love it. God help you. <laughs> but these people, I mean, like I said, uh, Herschel did about six of them. Uh, Adventures Lucky Pierre, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, which is great. Anybody who hasn't seen that one, uh, if you want to see uh, his usual right-hand man there, uh, Bill Kerwin, doing stand-up comedy naked, uh, <laughs> this is the one to see. Uh, and Bill was actually kind of fearless because he popped up in a couple of actually full nudist and um, actually they almost went to being porn. Things like uh, Sweet Bird of Aquarius. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, there's a couple of no. them. And they're really like, okay, that's what you want to do. Brad Grenter's in these with them. Uh, so all that Florida group kind of all worked together with this stuff. Um, you know, Barry Mayen did so many of these damn things. And then, like I said, he started doing kids' films. Uh, like I said, he did some religious films. Uh, Gigi Darlene was all over the damn place. I mean, there's I have more shorts and films of her than you'd ever believe. And then, like I said, the Bennett Systems, you're, you're watching – Wishman, you're watching Finley, you're watching Morrow, you're watching Chuck Smith films, you're watching Mayan films. They're there, and it doesn't matter whether it's New York or Florida, because some of these people, like you know the Finleys and um, 
uh, Doris Wishman were actually New Yorkers, but they just went down to Florida because it was you know a better at that time it was kind of like a hotbed for this stuff. So you, they would kind of bounce back and forth, um, and they would be together and separate. Sometimes you'd see Dawn, sometimes you'd see Darlene Bennett. Uh, sometimes they'd be together in the same movie. Uh, and a lot of these things again show up as shorts on the end of something weird, DVDs or DVDRs or tapes. Uh, then we had, you know, we mentioned about the Audrey Campbell with the Olga films, and she actually wound up on Dark Shadows. You can find her in three episodes, <laughs> believe it or not, in the background at the Blue Whale, and I actually caught her in one. I was like, hey, look, it's Audrey Campbell. Beautiful woman. Uh, but, again, you think of her as kind of like a um, lower rent, if you will, or at least less famous uh, variant of um, what's her name that everybody loves that was in a lot of Corman stuff, but she was a Warhol factory person with the Velvet Underground. We talked about her on Saturday. Uh, oh, uh, oh, oh um, She's like a, a low rent Mary Warrenoff. I think she's prettier than Warrenoff, but same idea. Uh, and she wound up in the nudie cutie things, like, you know, whatever, uh, 50,000 BC before clothing, 1,000 ships of a female. She should have stayed in bed, which is hilarious. Barry Mann's wife wrote the script for this, so it's very kind of uh, uh, self-effacing and put-downish to all the women that are stripping. Uh, it's like, you know, basically the women are there and the narrator's making fun of them uh, and how lousy their bodies are and all this. It's ridiculous. Um, and then, of course, you know, like I mentioned, Britain did a whole bunch of these things. Uh, and if you started... From there, just gradually getting into, as they faded away, the hippie stuff where, like I said, Sweet Bird of Aquarius, things like that, where they were much more explicit. And then you start drifting into porn, and you see that with Roberta Finley's career, uh, more or less after Michael, that they separated. Yeah, and I think what I wanted to say here, this is the perfect time to say that uh, Loops, because uh, we, we we mentioned a little earlier, about 15 minutes ago, we were talking about those privately traded porno things uh, yes. uh, from the turn of the century, you know, black and whites, uh, poorly shot and ridiculous. Um, Loop started to make a comeback around this time now. Yes. And, uh, and I think the reason why is because... The, as you and they agree with you, these things were dying off in popularity in the theaters. There was nothing like video at this time. Just another right. thirty, forty, fifty years later, um, but um, there were just were not as popular. I think people wanted to kink more. They wanted more of this. Yes. So I think then loops started to become the thing in the back of bookstores, and um, and what loops were were. Uh, Usually silent, like in the earlier days. Very brief running time, six minutes, where I think uh, I read a couple of autobiographies of some people who worked in uh, pornography uh, in the golden days. And uh, some of these guys worked in loops, and they said, you know, they were like less than 10 minutes, and sometimes 15 minutes was like an epic, you know? Yes. And these things were in the back, shown in the... Well, if anyone's ever been to uh, Show World, Long Gone, Show World, yes, Show World. And if no one doesn't, if anyone doesn't know what Show World is, I don't know <laughs> what you're doing. Anyway, um, yeah, to, not like Show World, but these were like more arcane versions of, of uh, you know, 
you know, the books. I don't think there were picture things back in these days. There might have been, but I uh, doubt it. But in the back of the bookstore, I'm sure there was like, you know, secret word of mouth kind of they were running loops. And that's where a lot of people got their start, and a lot of production people, and a lot of actors and actresses. Funny thing is, people who became well known years later, <clears throat> like John Holmes, for example, he made so many of these things yes. that because of his popularity, uh, at the time when he was not doing so well physically and for other reasons, um, they were stringing together dozens of these loops, right? Calling them overdubbing, movies. calling them movies. They were, they were, they, were, they would make a compilation. You would have no idea, and uh, you could see the drastic change of picture quality, color, film stock. It was, it was crazy. Um, yeah, and there was a lot of so people I, that are in the, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to call it the gray area, that you know you see them in a lot of sexploitation, as they call it now, uh, which mm-hmm. was not porn. But people like Renee Bond, you know, basically starting off in these loops. Uh, and there was a lot of them. I mean, she just comes to mind immediately. Um, and, of course, people that were more involved in porn. You know, there's an infamous one floating around out there with um, Linda Lovelace. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about there. Um, you know, people that... Which I've seen. You've seen that? I've seen oh, that. Oh, hell no. I haven't seen that. Uh, well, not by <laughs> choice. Not by choice. It's just like... You're watching something. Da, 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 da. Ah, damn. <laughs> <laughs> but I know of his existence. It's infamous. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. people that you would recognize, um, and some of whom went, had simultaneous careers, uh, Colleen Brennan, who was uh, Sharon Kelly in the sexploitation films, uh, and Colleen Brennan in the pornos. Um, she had... Yeah, um, um, right. there, yeah of, and she did a very cute, uh, goofy... Soft comedy that was actually released to theaters. It's an R-rated film. Do you remember the name of this thing? I've got a lot of her films that were this exploitation. Uh, like, what was the one where she was the radio? Uh, That's the one. That's the one. Th- yeah, she had a radio, pirate radio picture. station in her truck. Uh, yeah, it's, it's loads of fun. Yeah, uh, Dirty Mind of Young Sally, I think it was. Uh, yeah, and yeah, you know, she was she was quite good. But you know, it wasn't uh, too long afterwards that. The name Sorry, has no changed, point. and all of a sudden she's doing straight on porn. Yeah, yeah and people like Sandy Dempsey. I mean, there, there's a lot of names that people that know sexploitation or something weird films would recognize instantly. Nothing to do with porn necessarily. It's not at that point, but they right. were doing those loops. Uh, it was just kind of, oh yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so you watch these things. Oh yeah, that, no, that wasn't Renee Vaughn. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you you got, you got to keep. This is, you have to be of a, a dual mind with this whole thing is concerned. One of them is you had people, uh, uh, young people, attracted by the lore of the big city, west coast, east coast, and they traveled. <coughs> pardon me, and they traveled to New York and to Hollywood to try to get into the business, and uh, they ended up doing that because uh, they thought that was a way into the business. And then, of course, there was the sleazier ways of getting young girls and young guys to get into porn yes. movies. The other side of that coin is actual actors. Yes. Actual actual actors who worked. Um, you know, we're, we're not having a show whether they were good or bad. Mm-hmm. I'm saying actual hardworking actors 
who uh, either live stage or maybe doing bit parts in movies who wanted to work more. Yep. And they had to feed sometimes a family, their wife themselves. And so, you know, like you have some really good people that turned up. Yes. But that's well, as the show goes on, we'll actually. I actually have the impression. I actually have yes. the impression that a lot of these people, these theatrical types, and you can tell who they are because they're always the ones that are like, wow, this, this person's really acting, as opposed to just like, oh, what? And they're stoned and, you know, screw me, and there you go, you're done. Right. Um, you know, I thought that because the 70s, and, you know, I was young then, but I'm sure you remember, and anybody that was around at the time remembers, uh, the general zeitgeist after the Woodstock era and after the Summer of Love and everything. Mm. Turned into, yeah, people say the me generation and all that stuff, and it was a little bit more, you know, people got disillusioned, and you really weren't sure you could change the world anymore, so all you could do is just, you know, have a good time. And so you had things like Plato's Retreat and all, whatever. But, and of course the Coke thing that happened all through the 70s, you know, Studio 54 and whatever. But uh, there was a big, big thing in the zeitgeist where people actually, it almost like it was like a real philosophy, um, would seriously sit there and think like, okay, let's build ourselves a, a whole rationale behind why we should just indiscriminately fuck. <laughs> and that's going to save the world. That's going to, you know, but we're well, going to get rid of our hang well, ups you know, and there you go. Well, you know, I think also, but, you know, you also touched upon something. Some of that, for the West Coast people, primarily, I think, some of that was born out of communes and the, you know, the, the, the 60s, let's say the 66. To 1973, 74, um, the free love thing. You know, even though to us here on the East Coast, we think it all died around Altamont, 69, 70. But no, for those people who were still living in communes there, they they were still doing, you know, more free expression of will and and love. Um, I think a lot of that... For the East, uh, well, sorry, West Coast, I think was born out of that. Yeah, so and but you definitely touched on that, yeah. And I'll tell you, I remember seeing hippie bands, literal hippie bands with hippies in them and the flowers in the side and everything like the damn Mr. Machine right up to around 1981. So the, you're right, it did not die off in the 60s. There were pockets of people. Well, you know, my, my father, my father was in porn. Really? And <laughs> this is true. Yeah, we never got to talk about this, see? My dad was was in was in some adult movies, <coughs> and uh, he was in one um, that the actually the poster of it turned up online. I'm like, oh my god! And uh, I don't want to say what it is because it's too embarrassing. <laughs> but it's funny you're talking about hippie bands. Um, uh, this is a this is an aside, but you're gonna love the story, folks. When I had uh, you know I was brought up Catholic in a weird family. My dad's doing porn movies. And <laughs> um, so when we had to go to the church for the confirmation, my father shows up with, with this guy. And his name was Glenn. So if anybody's into pornography and knows who Glenn was, do let me know. <laughs> and four hot, long-haired hippie chicks. <laughs> and my dad. And Glenn comes into the church with the camera, handheld camera, big noisy thing. One of those 16-millimeter sound jobs. Yeah. And then everybody goes back to my house. I'm like, who are these people? Oh, they're 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 in the movie with me. One movie, you know. And, and years later, I I saw the poster. I did not want to see the film. I never did. 
he did a couple other things, but um, interesting. Yeah, they're all long-haired hippie types, and we're talking 1970-ish. I'd like to say six, sorry, five. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. And I had no idea so, about this. I've known you for how many years now? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. It's true. I'll Admittedly, it's not the, the sort movie. of thing that you bring up right away. Like, oh, by the way, my father wasn't born. But <laughs> well, if if you want a secret, if you want a secret, if anyone's listening is a Facebook friend of mine, if you – no, don't make me do this. If you look through – I have two folders on Facebook. I think it's the early years. I One of the posters is in there. <laughs> so that's your hint. Yeah, that's all you're gonna get from me. But anyway, that was an aside. I hope you enjoyed that story. Um but yeah, there were long haired hippie types in the East Coast at least. Right. And what I think was going on though was these theatrical types, uh, because it was such a big thing. I mean, look at all the Woody Allen movies from that era. Every one of them. I mean Woody was always obsessed with sex anyway, but I mean every one of them goes in tremendously long beyond just long monologues or long sequences where the entire film is about sex. And then you see these well movies like, you know, junk, like the Groove Tube or the Kentucky Fried movie. And it's all about sex. Oh, yeah, that yeah, was, yeah, I remember that was those. the era. That's the way the era was. And, you know, okay, fine. But the thing is that I think that got into people's heads. And to some extent, yeah, you had the suburban roulette sort of thing with the wife swapping and whatever else. And people kind of swing in. And, you know, I remember my father was looking to swing and my mother wasn't interested. It, it was actually a thing that people talked about. It wasn't like a big secret. Uh, oh, but, you really well, jumped over that one, didn't you? <laughs> sure. Well, he never did it because my mother didn't want to do it. But it's true. I mean, that was kind of a thing that they had out there. And people would mm. talk about this stuff, like, in public. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I wonder if we should you know, try this. Oh, yeah, everybody's doing this. Maybe we should have an open marriage, you know, whatever it was. Um, mm. That was the era. And, you know, to a lot of people now, it just sounds like, what? Are you crazy? But it was real. That's how people thought. And therefore, I just get the distinct impression that a lot of these people that were a little more theatrical, a little more intelligent, you know, it wasn't really the 70s West Coast drug crowd. And me and Roberta Finley talked about the difference between the New York crowd and the West Coasters and how difficult it was to work with the West Coasters just because they were, you know, totally unprofessional and just, you know, wanted to get high and screw, and that was the end of it. Well, uh, yeah, but see, but see, if I may, I think I think Roberta was generalizing there. I don't think everybody was like no, of course. that. And, and, rules of thumb. No, of course not. Anyway, but nonetheless. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I, but no, you, you had a different drug scene out there. You had, but see, the thing is, you had the, you had the more mellow drug scene from the West Coast. You know, you right. had like more pot and peyote, and right? More mood altering drugs. Out where on the coke. East Coast, yep. well, the East Coast, well, coke didn't really hit bigger till later. But I think on the East Coast, we did. We had a lot of pot and we had heroin. That was big. Wow. So that's why that, maybe that's why East Coast movies are so dark. <laughs> that could be. Yeah, it's just something right there. Like, oh, that explains a lot. But the thing is that my impression was that these people, these theatrical types, weren't just doing it because okay, I need to put food on the table, which was true. You know, I need a paycheck. Fine, mm. tie me up to the rehearsal or whatever. But I think that a lot of this was actually like ideologically motivated, like. You know, and you actually hear people talking about this sometimes when they do oral histories of this. Uh, there's some excellent oral mm. histories of the porn history out there. I won't name them, but I'm sure anybody that's interested has already had them or can find them. Uh, I've read several of these things. And, you know, you get the impression a lot of these people were just like, 
you know what? I, I really believe that, you know, basically going out there and showing all the, the – uh, the proles, the uh, the Puritans, that you know, getting getting laid and um, being open, I guess, you know, being free, you know, free love was gonna change the world. It was gonna be the answer. And you know, if we got everybody to loosen up and not be so stiff, then things would you know turn for the better. Almost like a, a Woodstock sort of uh, Aquarian, like, oh man, we're gonna change the world by fucking, you know. <laughs> so you will notice that. <laughs> no, of course it isn't. Uh, but you will notice that, and sometimes it's hilarious because I, I had discovered, you know, I always had a high opinion being younger of the whole Woodstock era and you know, the hippies and everything that because there were older folks when I was younger, and I hung around with them a lot actually, which was kind of strange for somebody my age uh, because my folks were party people all the time. People's houses all the time having parties at our place, different groups of people, and. The thing was, they seemed really intelligent, and I would have actual conversations, not like, oh, what'd you do in school? Not, not horse shit. We were actually talking about issues, which is interesting for somebody my age, uh, and they had opinions, and it wasn't just politics. There was all kinds of stuff, philosophy, film, you know, whatever, music, um, you know, current events. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people – it was a very heady time in that respect, uh, but I always had that opinion that people were – I don't know, a little more developed at that time. It wasn't so crass and materialistic and white trashy as things got nowadays. Uh, you know, it's practically love crafting when you go out to the malls nowadays. <laughs> but I found out from watching a lot of these films again. I found from watching a lot of these films again that some of that was delusion because I'm like, you know, the impression I'm really getting after seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these films from the 70s, because basically nine-tenths of the things that I watch, you know, from DVDs, I don't really watch new movies much. Uh, the ones that you know about when I go to the theater and saw something good, I mention on Facebook or whatever, and that's because it's a rarity. Um, we don't have cable. You know, it's all basically just my DVD collection, which is big. So we watch a lot of stuff and rewatch stuff. And the concentration has always been the 70s because that was always the most interesting time other than pre-code, you know, back in the early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. Uh, it mm -hmm. seemed to be the time when you were allowed to express yourself and people would come out of the woodwork doing independent, quirky, oddball films, making statements that, you know, in any other era probably would have got them banned, arrested, you know, never get make a film, whatever. Uh, and yet they were thriving during this time, especially when you get into cult stuff and horror and whatever. Um but after seeing so much of this stuff, I recently came to the opinion that, you know what, maybe these people really didn't have anything going because they they actually, like I mentioned before, they actually built this philosophy that somehow all you needed was sex. Somehow fucking was going to change the world. And, hey, I love the idea, but it's it's like, well, that's it? That's all you got to say for yourself? Nothing no, else? I, I don't uh, – no, I, I, I don't agree there. I don't agree there. I, 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 so I think – well, no, I, I I just think that it, it's it's so much more involved than that. I think you had I'm going to use a deadly word when it's considered when we're talking about adult films. You had auteurs, <laughs> you had film directors, <laughs> producers, you had crews, uh, you had people who actually thought they. Now, I'm not talking about the actors, and I know some of you guys out there, some of you guys have actually spoken to. Um, I'm not talking about the actors. I'm not going to diss some actors I like. Uh, I'll diss the ones I don't care for. <laughs> but the, the filmmakers, I think filmmakers were really em, emboldened by movies they liked. And, 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 you know, 
And his, yo, this brings up another fucking big can of worms. A lot of people were actually named people who worked in television and in film production. Sure. Um, I I don't want to name any of the names no, on the no, show no. because, um, but there are some people, especially in the mid seventies, who are like there were there were a few name film directors that actually dabbled into this genre. Um, many many uh, DPs uh, of camera guys, photography. Um, right. That shot porno because they you know they wanted to make more money, and, and this way without yes okay uh, finish up your story okay. without well I was gonna say without you know stepping in any toes like you're going the area you're going is like yeah let's leave that be because you know maybe these people stop careers going you want to like screw them up but in more general terms that people will actually know and really won't affect anybody um, you had a lot of slumming or, you know, quote-unquote mainstream cult directors that were all of a sudden started doing porn in, during the 70s and in, sometimes in the 80s. Uh, you know, Radley Metzger, you know, he went and did the whole Henry Paris thing. You know, that was – you could tell it's him right away even if you didn't know his name. Like, okay, there he is. It's another Radley Metzger film, but it's a porno. Um, Bill Lustig, who went on to do things like Maniac and Maniac Cop and Vigilante, and of course then did the whole Anchor Bay. He was the mastermind behind all the good films they put out, and then moved on to Blue Underground. He was Billy Bag. Uh, Ray Dennis Steckler did a bunch of these things. Yeah, Violation uh, of Claudia is one of his. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Darce Wishman did a couple of them. Uh, Herschel Gordon-Lewis did Black Love. Uh, Roberta Finley did several of them, obviously. Uh, Jean Roland started doing porn for a long time. Jesus Franco, I mean, he probably did more pornos than he did straight films. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, there's, these are people that everybody who's into cult film knows and often loves. And yet, here you are. I mean, Joe Sarno, I mean, he was always kind of on the border anyway yeah. with all this exploitation. But he did actual porn. He did things like you know inside the Laurel Annie. Um, but but these, these, the, these these are right. But these are things we know pretty much. Yeah. I mean, those that's are why I figured it was safe. Or, right, that was my yeah, point. It, it's exactly. related to what you're saying, but safe. What's you know that way nobody's gonna get hurt here. Uh, <laughs> it's safe. It's not like somebody who was like working on Adam Twelve. No, there was nobody working on Adam Twelve. And she's an example. <laughs> But somebody who was like a director on Adam 12 doing episodic TV in 1972, working week by week, he did 14 episodes, and boom, he also shot 15 pornos that year. Right. You know, that kind of thing, yeah. But everybody that, knew this, though. Oh, yeah. You know, that was the thing. Everybody in the scene knew this. Well, that and they usually hated time. these guys, too, because they worked them so hard. Because when they're working on episodic TV, you know, Yes. They have to shoot fast and quick. Yep. And yep. then get you come it, to these right. people like, get it right, we got to move on to the next scene. But like, But no, it's not like this. I didn't come yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I would hazard to venture that people, even in their more respectable quote-unquote careers, were aware of this. Not everybody, not their bosses and stuff like that, but you know, people that they were comfortable with, friends, probably knew about this stuff because during that era, people were a lot more comfortable about this. Now, that was a positive about the 70s is that people weren't so fucking uptight. Yeah. Oh, sex is sex. Hey, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh my God, it was you know us against the man. It was us against the government that was coming after us like Nixon or whatever. It was us against you know the corrupt politicians. 
is totally different from nowadays, where everybody's you know got to pull up their ass and you know rah rah rah, you know wave the flag. Uh, it was very different, and therefore people had a bigger sense of togetherness and us against people that are going to oppress us, which you know I still totally am down with. Uh, and therefore, yeah, I think people knew a lot of this stuff was going on. Just you couldn't really say it in polite society, and you were careful who to say it around, that sort of a thing. So. But, you know, in, in respect and, to people's and it, lives, you know, let's just leave it there and drop. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course, of course. And I think this all led to what we were discussing. I think this led to the beginning of the golden, you know, what's called the golden age. And um, yes. I think it's debatable, you know, to who you speak to. But for me, I would say the golden age of porn or adult films, adult cinema, is 1972 to 84, there's a couple of fine titles released afterwards, but I think that those are the key years there. Me personally, I've seen obviously the, the stuff beforehand with just a bunch of basically dirty hippies. They literally were. I mean, people have dirty feet and whatever, didn't wash for a week, and mm. their hair was all rat- matted down and everything, and they'd just be doing porn. And I was very. You don't like hippies, man? <laughs> hey, I love hippies, but the point is that if you watch these things, you're like, oh, man, these guys are filthy. Take a bath. You know? <laughs> Cut your hair a little bit. So do something. You know, style it at least. Uh, clean your feet. You know, this kind of thing. So it's not really like when you watch these things, like something where he puts them out a lot of times in those, uh, you know, Dragon Theater or whatever the hell things, uh, Bucky Beaver. Yeah. It's not, there's nothing appealing or like, oh, yeah, about it. It's like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. Uh but then you get things like when you had said 72, that's when you got Deep Throat and all that. But I don't think – if you watch Deep Throat, it's a stupid little film, and it doesn't seem that removed from the hippie shorts that were going on before it. Yeah, maybe the actors and actresses are a little more clean cut. Maybe one or two of them are better looking. Some of them are still gross. Um, and some of them went on to be famous, obviously, when the Loveless, obviously, Harry Reams. Uh, but – it still felt, you know, it was, it was short. It was kind of grungy. It was like almost plotless. It's kind uh, of grungy, but there's something about it that that almost makes it uh, a precedent. You know, it's it, it, oh, yeah, it actually has form. You know, has a form to it. It's it's got the comp, comedic element. It's almost yeah. like it's not a great film, folks. Please don't no. get me wrong. I'm not the. You know, <laughs> I'm not I'm not singing the uh the uh, praises of this but this particular movie is just far from great. Yeah. And it's but not what? even um and I I mean there's quite a few of the stuff that's that's tantalizing oh, yeah. it if you're a man or a woman, either get your heart or get your wet, you know. But <laughs> this doesn't work in any of those things. But, you know, there was nothing like this and it actually got into the mainstream. Me personally, what I would think of as the age of porn, even though technically nobody can really argue with, okay, it started with Deep Throat. Because like you said, all of a sudden, even though theaters were trying to ban it and governments were trying to get involved and everything else, we're talking about like local governments, you know, the, like the mayor of New York City or whatever, trying to ban this thing from all the theaters locally. But they had to bring it back because of audience demand because so many people went to this as couples, not as like, you know, the lonely old man in the mm-hmm. trench coat that's like half a serial killer, you know, whatever's going to like rape a kid or something, uh, and is going to go there with his trench coat to beat off. We're talking about people went Ouch. there, young couples. <laughs> young couples would go to this and then say to their friends, you've got to see this freaking movie. You wouldn't believe this. You know, I'm trying to teach you this new technique kind of a thing. And then they would That's get curiosity. That's why this movie is important. That's why right. this movie is important. 
Yeah. And the curiosity from that brought this whole age of, you know, this golden age of porn where these couples started going. But for me, when I look back at this stuff, I really don't think it kicked yeah. in until 76. I think 76 to Ouch. 85. 76 to 85 is the golden age. Before that is kind of – it's almost like a transitional era. It's coming out of those grungy hippie loops, but it's not really porno chic. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, people are watching these things, and it's uh, making a precedent and making trouble all over the place and fighting lawyers and whatever the hell else. But was it any good? Nah. Now, I mean, I, when you start talking about it, maybe 75, you can argue when Sarno started doing things like, uh, what was it, Confessions of an American Housewife, things like that, uh, where he's got like... Starring the woman that you said the other night you did not like. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, that is true. But see, to me, I forgot she was even in the goddamn thing, because to me, it's okay. Well, look, Rebecca Brooks in this thing. And I thought there was like a brunette girl in there I like to. I don't remember for sure. It's been a while. Uh, there is. There but, is. I forgot her. Yes. Uh, and he actually, doesn't you know, like Jennifer Wells. Oh, yeah. Yes, I don't. I do not like her at all. <laughs> I, I don't understand the appeal. Right. Uh, but there's somebody else in there that I like. Wasn't that the Chris? Um, Chris, what's her name? Cassidy or something? She was always with Eric Edwards at the time. Um, young. No, I don't think she's. Is she in I thought she was. She was yeah, a couple Chris, of honest at the time. Well, do you Chris remember her last name? very Chris energetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked her a lot. Yeah. She was cute. Uh, she was sort of like, for those who don't know, she's sort of like a cross between, and this is funny when you talk about somebody that you actually like and they're sexy or whatever, but sort of like a Sandy Duncan type, I guess, almost, you know, that kind of waifish, pixie-ish, elfin, uh, bubbly personality, and yet she's cuter and she's porn, so there you go. And she's also well, a little too. She, she actually, no, she's bigger than Sandy Duncan, now. she's got a little bit more weight to her. Yeah, but it's, I don't know, to me she seems smaller, to me she seems more elfin, if you want to put it that way. I seen her on the big screens, bigger. Hey, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> the, the point is not that. The point is that's basically a, a marker for you if you want. Uh, All right. So yours is, yours is seventy six. Mine was mine was seventy two because I also included in my mind behind the green door. Right. Which is a very strange, strange movie. It's yeah. uh, Mitchell Brothers. I don't think I've seen any good Mitchell Brothers movies. Uh, no, and but I don't think a, that one is good. Probably, <laughs> but no, it's not a good one, no. But it's, it's arty, and there's very yeah. it's a, it, they, they manage to pull off. You know, sometimes bad filmmakers can pull off works of art by fucking up, you know. <laughs> and I think they they didn't know what they were doing, but they sort of got some very hypnotic moments going in this movie, and. You can't deny there's and not the stuff with Johnny Keys. Right. Uh, I'm nothing against Johnny Keys, and I'm and and uh, I'm a positive guy. But um, there's just some other stuff in there with Marilyn Chambers that's very hypnotic, and I think sometimes scenes work out to be more than the whole. And uh, I thought that there were some interesting enough moments in that. Which is another movie people kept going back to in the theaters, and right. they were bringing couples back. And then the big one was The Devil and Miss Jones, which is a yes. year later. And again, you're talking about Mitchell Brothers, you're talking about Gerard Damiano. I don't think either of these people made any decent films, and yet they were – because they were the pioneers, and people became mm. interested in what they did because it was the first of either you know the first one that people started going to, which was Deep Throat, and look at this weird technique this woman's doing – 
or it was the first you know, Archie <laughs> porn film, which was you know the Behind the Green Door. Uh, but neither one of them was any damn good. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way you could sit there and say, "Wow, it was a good film." It's like, no, this kind of crap. But uh, they interested people and they opened doors. So in that respect, historically speaking, yeah, they're obviously they're major, major touch points. Uh, but for me, I don't think they, the era of porno chic per se really kicked in until later when it got a little more polished. So, well, ah, Georgina was amazing in that movie. Her debut, well, not her debut, not her debut, no. but her no. de- debut lead role. And don't forget, she was doing other stuff. I mean, Georgina, I saw her just the other day. We were watching some crappy, uh, it was actually uh, Audubon Pictures. So once again, we're talking Metzger. Uh, brought over some French film about a bunch of schoolgirls at a boarding school that involved a little bit of some plot of lesbianism or whatever. Uh, innocuous little film, basically, from the early 60s. And yet, to sell it over here, and apparently it sold really well and did a lot of money for him, uh, he put in scenes involving this busty woman, I don't know who she was, and Georgina Spelman, a young Georgina Spelman. Um, so she did that, and I was like, okay, even if you count the date that he brought it over here, it had to be like 65. Uh, she was in an uh-huh. film, what is it, the, the Bad Bunch or something? Or It, it was basically you know, yeah, women, yeah. You know, like a biker gang kind of thing. Um, you know, she would pop up in things that weren't just porn, and I think most of those predated the porn, but even so, who knows? It could have been a simultaneous thing. Which, um, I think it's one of the reasons why I disliked her autobiography so much, uh, self-published. Um, I read a lot of them uh, in the spring. I, I actually took a bunch of these books to, with me when I went to Asia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was what I read during the day. Um <laughs> It's when I read during the hot, insanely hot weather. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's <laughs> that's weird. It's not a weird, is it? Um, that's what I read, and and you know her book, which I was looking forward to, was supremely disappointing to me. Um, I I had not seen many glowing or overtly positive reviews, uh, but I was really interested, you know, to see what she had to say, and. and um, I wrote about this at length. It'll be published somewhere at some point sometime. But uh, uh, she had a huge problem with drinking, alcoholism. And I'm not outing her. She admits to it all throughout her life. And I think she probably fucking forgot she was in all these movies. <laughs> because she, she's she's talking about, like, well, I did, like, one or two pornos. And then uh, I... I, I, did, I was an experimental filmmaker living with a commune in East New York. Okay, that's cool. And then in the East Village, that's cool. And then I'm like, but I just saw you in 20 movies the other day, you know, like from the 60s, which she doesn't even talk about or discuss. Yeah, was, and I think she hasn't. I actually didn't get shot. too much because it gives away too much. But uh, there was somebody that I used to know um, – uh, who worked in a certain industry, and he was a an older <laughs> guy, older guy. And people might know him from certain books that were published, uh, because somebody else that I know published a book as well about the industry, uh, not about the film industry as much as the uh, magazine industry, but nonetheless, um, this fellow here uh, always said that, oh yeah. I my favorite star of this era was Georgina Spelman, and I could never understand why. I mean, I know he was an older man. He was an older Jewish man, and therefore he might have identified with her because to me she looks very much like a, a Yenta, you know, like an old Yenta. Um, <laughs> I, I never found her attractive in the least. I always thought she was kind of old and, you know, like I said, she was um, 
he's going to serve some matzo ball soup or something, you know, if that. You know, she didn't seem that friendly. Well, well the, you got to think of it this way. She was probably the, the, the antecedent for the MILF, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Older. And this guy was, was totally she like 34 at that time. So, she, yeah. I mean, I older than me, but that's just uh, that's just my own personal whatever. Uh, and that always fascinated me. I was like, really? Why her? Of all people you could name. I mean, even Jennifer Wells Ouch. was younger looking. I don't get it. I'm sorry. That, that really like um, older woman thing is just sad. It's lost on me. I mean, maybe when I was 15 or something, you're like, oh, yeah, somebody that's like 25 or 30. Oh, it's pretty hot. But, you know, as you get to more advanced age, it's like, why do you want someone that's even older? Man, whatever. <laughs> oh, you're being kind. No, no, no. You know, I agree with you. It's like, MILFs are, like, really hot when you're younger. Then when you get older, it gets fucked up because then you're like, yes. I can't look at older women anymore because I'm, I'm like, I'm around 50 and older women would be, ah, Exactly right. It's like you know, it's kind of creepy, but uh, anyway, like I said, some people are into it. Whatever, you know, your own personal taste is your own no, business. No, I don't want to know about that. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, just talking about some directors that actually were of note, at least in the seventies. I mean, we already mentioned, uh, you know, the, the whole um, Henry Paris thing, and you know, obviously these people that were more famous, you know, like Finley and Sir Grant Lewis and Steckler and whatever, but. You had people that were specialized in porn, and I don't know if they did anything otherwise, or at least not much otherwise. And yet they were trying to be, or at least had pretensions of being more autorous. Like they actually, oh, let's let me make a film, and I want to say something with this, it. but it's a porno. Uh, and that's we just kind of stayed in this porn ghetto, if you will. Uh, Anthony Spinelli is a big one. Uh, oh, he, Anthony Spinelli. Yeah. Very impressive. Very dark. He's he's almost like Hobbesian with his uh, philosophy. You know, everything is kind of grim throughout his films, and nobody really wins. Uh, but I love his stuff. I mean, it's, it's visually sumptuous, um, and again, it's, it's aesthetic. And he's trying to say something you can tell. Now that might turn some people off, but for me, you know, being a film fan, I was like, okay, I, I can respect this. Um, Henri Pichard. No, oh, yeah, I, he's he's a huge. I'm a huge fan of Anthony Spinelli, and you know what? Because you brought his name up, I have never heard anyone speak ill of him. Really? Yeah, he's deceased now. Yeah, yeah. Like Kate Parker on that uh, that uh, what's that blog thing called? What, uh, oh, uh, it, what is it? The the one that Ashley does. Um, Rialto Report. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Rialto report. Uh, Kay Parker was on that not too not too long ago, and uh, about two and a half hours, she uh, she spoke really well of him. Um, uh, Richard Pacheco, i.e. Howie Gordon, you know, very mm-hmm. speaks very well of him. Um, lots of other people, and they, a lot of people developed a bond with him. Um, I heard John Leslie really liked working with him. You know, a lot a lot of people. Because he was like an actor's director, and, and from what I gather, Spinelli, who that's not his real name, but his, his is a very Jewish name, um, <laughs> um, because he wanted to work in other areas, and he kept trying to get into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you would think he could because he was very talented. There's no question. He was very talented, no question. Yeah. People, uh, people that I, I read, heard, and listened to said he was an actor's director. Now, you may laugh. You may scoff at this. It's not all about the fucking, you know? 
Yes. And, you know, I loved reading the men's autobiographies because, I mean, I love reading the truth. And the truth is, for the guys who are listening to the show, and you know what the theme is of tonight. Yeah, okay, you're going to watch... these movies are like 90 minutes long. Wow, they're going at it for 20. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, no, what it is is like they go at it for a while. They got to stop. They'll come back tomorrow. They'll do a little bit more. Yep. Because it's all I, it's, yeah. I mean, but he, he was a really good actor as director. And then and when it came to the sex scenes, he was very patient and he was helpful. And yep. it's kind of weird to hear somebody say, write that. You know, it's like, wow, fascinating. You know? Yeah, and what's interesting whereas, is – Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say no, – Whereas but, I've heard yeah, other people say about other people who I will not mention, <laughs> it was horrible working for them right. because they had to be on set for only four hours. They had to do such and such in only four right. hours, and they worked with scum of the earth. You know, So there you go. <laughs> But what's fascinating to me is that you've got people working in this industry that some of them, and very few, were actually decent directors. And you can tell they are crafting scripts, they're doing locations, they're doing good cinematography. You know, They've got attention to all the aspects of film. They've actually got plots, they've got acting, and yet you know, you've got the fucking thrown in. So it, it's strange. It's like ghettoizing them. Uh, and, of course, the biggest ones did have careers outside, at least before – uh, Joe Sarno is obvious, you know, very obvious example. I love his stuff. Um, very Catholic, guilty, but you know, very dark and deep, and thoughtful and psychological and uh, melodramatic. Uh, and of course, Metzger, uh, who was Henry Paris, uh, very aesthetic. Not quite as much in some of those other measures, but uh, really was trying to make a okay. beautiful work of art. Mm. If you want to do that. And then you have Spinelli. And really, if you want to cut it off right there, you can, because there's nobody else even touched them. Uh, the three of them you know, the, the, are the real directors of foreign, if you will. Uh, the, you know, speaking about Joe Sarno, there's an incredible documentary that popped up the uh, last two years. Uh, it's actually on Netflix, folks, streaming, if you want to check it out, a Life in Dirty Movies, where uh, the, it's... Uh, Biography of Joe Sono, and you know you're talking to Joe and, and his wife, lovely wife, and uh, up until and past when he passed, it's I think it was made by Swedish folks. Um, there's lots of great clips in there, but you know something interesting came out to me when I watched this. I thought it was a fantastic documentary on Joe Sono. I thought he was very. His wife was very giving a forthright. I thought he lied through his fucking teeth. Because, <laughs> because he's saying, I wanted to make this kind of movie. And, you know, I went to Sweden and I wanted to make this kind of, Fuck you. Because i seen the Swedish version and it's totally hardcore. I actually right. own the Swedish version of a lot of Joe's movies. And they play better in hardcore version with. That was one fault of his. He has this bullshit line that everybody repeats that, oh, I'm just interested in the moment of orgasm, so I would have them actually fuck, but then I wouldn't film that, and I'd just give you the the movie part. 
Yeah, for America, but he actually did film all this crap, and they are out there, at least, you know, some of them. Because um, yeah. you're right, I mean, yeah. the Swedish ones were kind of uh, a little bit more across the border. But then later on when he started doing the inside films, you know, inside Jennifer Wells, inside uh, Sika, inside Lou Laura Lanny. Maybe Sprinkles. Annie Sprinkles. Annie Sprinkles, Annie Sprinkles oh, another one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and she's an interesting <laughs> character in herself. I mean, we're talking about somebody who is – uh, people that are into the New York art scene, the, the transgressive scene that was going on. People, you know, the, people that are going to things like you know Nick Zed and um, uh, Richard Kern and things like that would you know um, who else was there? Uh, somebody G was one of them. I forget. She was a girl that was uh, doing the this stuff. Oh, back in Lydia the Lunch. Well, Lydia, Lydia Lunch. Lunch, of course. Yeah, and um, you know Henry Rollins. I was into that scene. There's a lot of I things was I can too. tell you about. I oh, was you were too. too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, so I guess but, we're having a conversation where we can't tell each other anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Hey, listen, I'm all up for the stories. But uh, if you go into people that are into that scene, that don't know anything about it, and sort of crap, at least as far as they'll admit, uh, they will be very familiar with uh, uh, where we started off with. <laughs> I got lost. No, no, sorry. Sprinkles. Oh, it's Annie Sprinkles. Uh, they'll Sprinkles. be with Sprinkles. her because she's one of those people like uh, what's it in there? Uh, Fala Kember, uh, Kember Fowler with the um, yeah. uh, voluptuous horror of Karen Black and all that. And um, Karen Black, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just that kind of um, what's it? Joe Coleman, you know, people like that. This performance art sort of a thing. And even though primarily people know Annie Sprinkles as a porn star and a, a lesbian porn star at that. Uh, nonetheless, she became more known as this sort of odd performance artist, and she's got this whole thing. You know, she does these goddess workshops, and all. She's a real character. Um, so you she's know, an earth echo, echo sexual now, I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like I said, she's a real character. But people that know just that scene, you know, like people that were like in the Sonic Youth sort of uh, circle of things, Glenn Branca and all that, um, they will, you know, no way, basically. They will know her because she is very much part of that scene. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah, or earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. People do spill out uh, of the porn ghetto, if you will. Uh, they're not as locked in there as the mainstream would like you to believe. Nonetheless, it is hard for them to get you know mainstream roles. You'll see people. I remember not just the Rockos for Freedom's Masquerade, which is actually a pretty decent jalo that they played a long time ago on Cinemax, uh, full of porn stars at the time, uh, or of the time, uh, but. You'll see them popping up in things like was it like Cage Heat or something with uh, Eric Estrada and there's Ron Jeremy and there's Kasha the uh, and Francis Papillon who was her boyfriend and you know like, what the hell you, know, you, know, uh, you yeah. mentioned Rocco there's there's a great French movie by Patrice Chernot who's a art party French filmmaker and she makes movies about weird fucked up relationships with heavy sexual content and I wish I could remember the name of this thing and Rocco was in it and it's <laughs> it's an amazing fucking performance. Oh my god. If it wasn't Rocco Sofredi, the guy would have won a French Oscar. Well and yeah So what yeah, is it like he, a Chantal Ackerman film or something? <laughs> no, it's about this woman who is at the tether of life. She's hanging on by a string. She lives in a chateau far from the city. She's suicidal. She picks up a male prostitute. Now, you get this. You're with me. She picks up a male prostitute. It's Rocco. He sits in a chair. He watches her, like, masturbate. He's frustrated because he likes guys. <laughs> he fucks her. He finds out he really likes it. 
but then he leaves the next day. He comes back anyway because he's, like, starting to like her, right? Right. And they're developing this weird, twisted relationship. It's very good. I know. You you say, but Lewis, what's the name of the damn movie? But just look it up. (laughs) (laughs) But, no, he's really good in it. I mean, it's really – it's not a porno, but it's got porn scenes because it's French. You know, they can get away with shit like that. And, you know, we were mentioning earlier some of the actors that were very theatrical. I mean, it's unquestionable. I, I mean, there is a arguable, like, somebody who's very close to him uh, who you mentioned already, but Eric Edwards. This guy is fucking unbelievable. I mean, he definitely could have been, should have been, uh, but somehow wasn't, except in Sorrow films, uh, a mainstream actor. Uh, very, very Eric, good. Eric Edwards, I agree with you. Eric Edwards is a very good actor. There's um, a, hand, a handful. Who's so, close is Jamie Gillis. Very good. Uh, not in the Jamie same Gillis level, is, but he yeah. could be there. He could be there. I, I got like six, seven people on my side. I mean, we're talking about the men's because we're saying actors. Right. Um, I I always thought Gillis is amazing. I mean, I very rarely saw him play down. You know, he always played up. Well, he did have this great comedic streak. I'll say that. So, therefore, to me, that's he like the slumming. He's slumming. But yeah, yeah I mean, he's right up there too. Oh yeah, he yeah. is. Uh, and he was bisexual. Yeah. All kinds of things going on. But um, the thing is, if you're gonna name like the two male actors, where it's like kind of neck and neck, but I think Edwards edges them out. Uh, it's those two. Uh, and also in terms of the ladies, I just want to mention right off, and I mentioned it before, uh, Mary Mendham, who went uh, Rebecca Brooke. Uh, again, a lot of Sarno films too, but uh, and the image uh, with Metzger, uh, fantastic, fantastic acting. She was actually one of those people that was uh, was she in Godspell or or was it the other one? Uh, Hair, uh, one of those two. Um, I think Godspell, yeah. Yeah, and then of course she got wound up doing this stuff, uh, but very, very strong actress. I mean, surprisingly so. Um, after and that, she worked in some French things too. She appeared in some French films. After that, you've got a lot of them that are halfway decent. You know, Leslie Beauvais could be good when she wanted to be. Um, you know, Annette Haven could be good when she wanted to be. I mean, it, it depends. It's more uh, conditional. But there are people out there that were decent actors and actresses that were just, you know, comfortable enough with their bodies or, you know, starting up for a paycheck to say, hey, what the hell? Nobody's going to see this. Let's fuck. <laughs> On film. Yeah, yeah. I know there's a lot of people out there. I mean, you you can. Now, Bobby Astor is a guy. Who... Bobby Astor is a Everybody loved him. Uh, he yeah. was basically like the, they always call him like the clown prince of porn, but uh, he was the kind of guy that would see somebody like, you know, a Shauna Grant or somebody like that or a Savannah and could tell they were kind of down in their luck, you know, maybe drugged out and suicidal or whatever. And he would kind of, you know, slip him some money and try to edge him off the drugs and whatever. Yeah. He was that kind of guy. And everybody, like you talk about everybody saying good things about Spinelli, everybody has a good word for him. So I respect Bobby yeah. S. a lot. Now, was he a great actor? I, I, actually, but I saw Bobby Astor uh, in front of the Chelsea Hotel one time walking these two huge fucking Dalmatians. And I was walking down the street, and uh, I think I, was, went, I went to Chelsea Guitars, and uh, I was like, oh, shit, it's Bobby Astor. And he's like, small guy. You know Bobby yeah. Astor. Yeah, of course. And he's walking these two giant fucking dogs. And I was like, hey, how you doing? Thanks. <laughs> that, <his voice. laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, wearing really short shorts that men really shouldn't wear unless they're going to like you know a bathhouse. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my memory of Bobby Esther. But you know, Bobby did some interesting work. Sometimes he he played the guy with the attitude. He played the sometimes like the weird kind of high pitched boy psycho. I always felt that he was capable of more, but you know, I agree. I have never heard anything bad about him. Yeah. Um, you have people Thomas, that. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're right. Paul Thomas is a good one. I was just thinking of uh, John Leslie could also be a very strong actor, but John Leslie from the eighties. Yeah. I remember he had a reputation, and you could see it on film. He was kind of rough with the ladies, and at least in the eighties, the ladies didn't like that. Um, but uh, that said, in terms of just his acting ability, yeah, he was another good one for sure. I, I, I you know, it's. Funny, the more I've been reading a lot of this stuff written by a lot of different people, and I'm beginning to feel like I know a little bit about John Leslie, who passed away a couple of years ago. Really? Um, he was know. a great blues. Yeah, he was a great blues musician. Did you know that he played I fucking no fantastic idea. harmonica? Yeah, it's on YouTube. <laughs> he was uh, heavily into yeah. the blues. He had a band, and he played harmonica, and he could play like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> um, that was his side thing, you know. It was like everybody yep. who knew John Leslie knew he was in the rock and blues. Wow. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I feel like I know a lot more about him than I did. And the funny thing is, when you know more about people, you, when you watch this stuff, it's kind of like, oh, I don't think I want to watch. <laughs> I don't think I want to watch this anymore, you know, because like. Seems like a nice guy. Why are you treating that woman so badly? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and you saw that in the 80s, for sure. Because uh, my drummer used to, my big, uh, if you want to call it an introduction to porn, other than just, you know, the usual thing of finding your father's dirty magazines and writing a porno and not knowing how to, to dual tape it back in those days. And I had to show him how to work that. Um, you know, basically it was through my drummer who was, as I discovered as the years went on, a real porn addict. And he would bring over all this crap that uh, I think I mentioned to you at least, if not on air, uh, called climactic scenes. They were a big thing in the late 80s, early 90s. And what they were was like these four or five hour tapes full, maybe some of them six hours. They went to the end of the tape and just kind of ran out. Uh, full of these scenes from hundreds of freaking pornos. And they would list at the beginning of every scene. Basically, it was just kind of like the good parts, if you will. And they would list all the actors and actresses in there. So by the time I got done watching, you know, however many of these with this guy, you know, laughing, I'm like, ha, look at this Tajere that broke the table again. Ha, ha, ha. You know, look, it's Harry Reams. But, uh, you started knowing these people. And I came out of it like, at least in terms of 80s porn, like being an expert for this shit. <laughs> I think I've rented maybe 20 in my life, but you know, this guy would bring them over constantly, like maybe twice a week, and three or four at a time on these freaking climactic scenes. So, uh, but anyways, it, it, somehow that related to whatever you, the person you brought up, and I don't remember who it was. <laughs> oh, John Leslie, that was it. Because John Leslie, those always, always really nasty and abusive. I remember there was a girl called Viper. Uh, she was kind of this hard-bitten biker chick with a, and she was oh, named. I remember she had Viper, this giant yeah, yeah. viper. Tattoo going across the you arm, know, breast and down everywhere else. Uh, piercings everywhere, long before piercings were popular. Uh, but he was rough with her, and she had to pretend she liked it. And you could see she was like, first she was shocked, then she wanted to kill him, and then she had to like, grit her teeth and say the lines. And I'm like, ooh, you know. And so even as like whatever it was, your 18 year old kid, like, 
I didn't like that scene. That made me really uncomfortable. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he kept doing, you know what? Him, like, doing this in all these movies. So. I think I think a lot of times though he was cast he was cast because they they saw him as a type, not for what he could do. You know. Well, I will say and, that seeing him in these 70s ones, like Vinegar Syndrome he's putting out, I'm getting a different perspective, yeah. and that's where I'm saying, you know, he could be a decent actor, and he wasn't as bad then. Maybe it came out over time. Maybe it was maybe it was more like you mentioned, a private thing, and it became public later on in the 80s, you know, with who knows, time, age, drug use, whatever it was. Uh, but, you know, knowing him initially from the 80s, I was like, oh, fuck, I want to know John Leslie movies. <laughs> Well, you know, when one really interesting one, there's a weird movie out there that uh, Vinegar put it out with Sharon Thorpe. Yes, I love her. Uh, yeah, I love her too. I don't know why. Wow, something exactly. About her. Um, I have said that in one of the reviews. I'm like, you know, I don't know what it is. There's something about her that's indefinably attractive. You know, I don't know what it is. You know, it's just, I don't know. Not really quite a girl next door, but she reminds me of like you know a girlfriend or two that I had when I was younger. Somehow, I can't peg why either. I was just like, okay, yeah, I like her. <laughs> so okay, so you've seen the movie that I can't think of the title of. Sharon is a. Was oh, this Baby Rosemary? Yes. Angel Angel has seen the devil. One of those. That no, one no, had Baby uh, Rosemary uh, doing the camera work on it. I think. But Baby Rosemary, yeah, that's a Baby Rosemary. It begins kind of weird because, like, he he's 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 trying to go to police academy, John Leslie, and uh, he's dating Sharon, and like she won't make love to him. Yeah. So he goes he goes to the, like the same building he lives in, and some prostitute. Yeah, it's Leslie Bobet or something. She's a prostitute in the building. Yeah. It is Leslie Bobet. Yeah. And she caught sort of dresses. She's like you kind of get the feeling you've been through this this thing before. Yep. Because he's so frustrated with Sharon that Leslie would dress up like Sharon, and then he and gets like, her and get it out. Yeah. Yeah, they have this like weird kind of wild anal scene in the hallway. Yeah, like nobody fucks in the hallway, man. In the <laughs> stairs, maybe, but not in the hallway. Um, but he actually gets very tender as the film goes on, mm-hmm. and. It's a very, it's a very interesting, you know, early. Like I felt like, okay, I'm watching John Leslie trying to act in this thing because yes. he really doesn't want to do the, the bad stuff. Of course, the movie totally falls apart by the end, where like oh, the yeah. father comes out of the coffin and everybody's fucking. But you know, it's oh, every yeah. movie's great. Yeah, and John Cena yeah. and all that. I mean, he's kind of <laughs> he pops up. Yeah, the, the ending's horrible, but I would yeah. say like eighty percent of this movie's worth watching. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, including Leslie's anal on the stairs, which is pretty scorching, but it's like, what if that's is your this thing? Going in this movie? <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big anal guy. Do, you know. uh, it's one of those anyway, things, like, from that when goes, they have the lesbian scenes of porn, it's like, all right, come on, fast forward, I'm done with this. Let's do something else. <laughs> uh, but did you see aerobic girls? No, I did not. And I love girls in yeah. eating aerobics pogs. That was a big thing for me. It still is. Not that you ever see girls walk around with that anymore, but <laughs> those leg warmers. Aerobics girls. Fit, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ponytails, everything, huh? Yep. 
Yeah, we we should touch on Sex World though. It's a Spinelli movie. It's really good. That's a strange one. Yeah, I mean, usually I really love Spinelli movies. Uh, I mean, I know he did those like Expectations and Confessions were great. Uh, Oriental Babysitter with uh, one of my favorites there. Uh, what's his name? Wong. Um, not Jade Wong. The other one, the more the quote famous Linda. one. Linda. Linda Wong. Linda. Yes. Um, love her. Uh, actually, I love Jade Wong too. But uh, we, we love that. Jade Wong more. I think. Yes, we do. That's that was actually I'm like biting my tongue. I'm like I wanted to say that uh, Jay Wong's more of a girl. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, those who haven't seen Linda Wong, she's like a sexy Mei Lin because Mei Lin's just kind of yeah. you know, easy. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, what was I going to tell you about that? Oh, so I'd seen these other films, and I was like, you know, I really like Spinelli. And then Sex World came around, I'm like. Okay, there's parts of this I like, but everybody's making a big deal out of it. I'm like, I don't know, it's just more strange. It, it reminded me of an ersatz, um, somewhere between Sleeper and, and uh, everything you like, could ever want to know about sex, the, the Woody Allen films. It, it like, kind of crossed those, made it a little darker, because you know, obviously had this almost like a Westworld thing. That's where he got the title from, his Westworld, Future World, Sex World, uh, where mm-hmm. Pipes are there, and they they go and have the lab. Okay, what kind of thing do you want, or what can we do with Screwy? Like, uh, you know, again, John Leslie's in it, and he's playing a racist, and they give her to um, Desiree West, who kind of shows him what it's like to be with a black girl. And all of a sudden, now all he wants is black girls. So it was kind of like, in one sense, like, okay, well, they're trying to open their minds, or but it was also cheesy. Uh, And they would kind of push everybody's boundaries a little bit. Uh, Interesting film. It's kind of an all-star cast. Yeah, yeah. Leslie Bowie, Carrie K. Parker's in it. But did uh, I Sharon like again? some of the others? Not really. So it's, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, funny thing is when I when I first saw this way back in 78, 73, 78, whatever else, 78 maybe. Um, I always What's thought, interesting is, and, and I'll just say this on hand, yes. hold your floor for a second. You remember how the, the sex world bus was coming around going to the uh, uh, the Lincoln Tunnel, basically? Uh, yes, you know that, yeah. I swear to God, I saw it, and I'm like, oh, my God, I remember that when I was a kid. We were going into the freaking city, and I know, unless this is some kind of weird implanted memory or something, you're like, oh, satanic ritual. I knew it right away when I saw the scene. I told my wife, like, oh, my God, we were there. I remember because I pointed it out to my father when we were driving into whatever, and I says – what the hell? What's, what's this bus over here in sex world? And I swear to God, if this was a real incident, which it seems like I had to be, I was there. We, we were driving past it, and I saw this bus going in. Going to like the I believe you. I believe you. Yeah. So that was actually <laughs> from my childhood right there, <laughs> that part of the movie. <laughs> See, that's why we're talking about this so many years later. Yep, exactly. Of, made a stamp. Uh, made a stamp in your memory. Um, and, you know, of course, he's trying to shut me up because I'm a kid. Like, I don't worry, you don't see nothing. But he has to like, change the subject. <laughs> uh, if if we ever do a sequel follow up to this show, we talk about the, the Times Square years. Uh, anyway, um, second world. Um, you know, I rem- Yeah, I know what I was going to say. Now, I remember when I first saw it, and then I got the Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, which is really right. good. They did a great yeah. job, as always. Good. And yeah, heads up good. to you guys. Yeah. Yes, we're going to we're gonna name-check you. You do great work, even on shitty movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if companies that put out better movies did half the job Vinegar Syndrome does on their pornos and these really crap like cult films that they dig up from Troma or whoever, this would be a much better world. Because they're yeah, know, we're looking at you, Severin, Code Red. I mean, yeah, I've seen some vinegar stuff that is like wow. 
Yeah, and that blows all those people away. Everybody talks about how great yeah. the drinks are. I forget it. Vinegar syndrome is like amazing, amazing. They look yeah. better than shit outside amazing. the theaters. So, anyway, go ahead. That's right. Send us free shit, will you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys and, and know this it. is from the heart. This isn't plugging them for oh, let's, let's give us some money or something. No, we actually feel this. No, way. It's from the heart. No, amazing. yeah, definitely. The call, you know, I I watch. Okay, we're gonna go off track for a minute, and we're gonna get right back to Sex World. I was watching Oriental Hawaii. Yes, John Leslie, Maylin, Jade Wong is in that. Yes, I was gonna say Jade Wong right away. <laughs> and and uh, oh my god, from Easy, help me out. Um, John Martin, uh, he's another one like John Leslie, always no, abusive. Yeah, John. Woman. John Martin, don't you don't like, like John Martin. No, no, the yeah. woman from Easy, the star from Easy. Uh, oh, I forgot uh, who the, the parents were in that one, yeah. Uh, was it Serena? Uh, was it? Who's one of the daughters? One of no, the daughters Serena's not in this one. Anyway, the, the colors are pop-out. Oh, yeah. Pop-up. Pop-art. I mean, like, you guys did a blowout job on this. You did a great job. Yeah. I applaud you. The co-feature, Mylin versus Serena, I've never oh. seen this thing in the world before. And to call us to believe it, Phil. We'll get to the well, call us in a second. We'll get to call us. But I think I mentioned on the air, I don't know if it was with this show or another one, we were talking about, or maybe it was just with you, uh, Malin versus Serena. There's a famous story behind that. You know, they have that big, ridiculous orgy scene at the end there, and it's like, how many guys, who's, who's going to do more of them or whatever in the bathtub? And I was crazy. Mm. Serena got so infected that she went to the hospital. Oh, yes. Her belly blew up like a balloon. And she this almost from her died. Yeah, yeah. She almost died. Yeah. The doctor said, you have so many like venereal diseases running around you right now. You're lucky you're alive. Uh, and she complains, like, you know what? Uh, Carlos never said a fucking word to me. Everybody else came and they checked me out or whatever. Make sure you're okay. I'll some, some flowers. Tobolino was like, fungal. He could care less. <laughs> so it said a lot about him. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, yeah, the, only good, yeah, the only good scene that's in that movie which is Maitland it, versus Serena, which which I thought was the one in uh, when they go to the ridiculous the bar. lesbian bar. There's really a lesbian bar, and Herschel Sa- two guys walk in, Herschel Savage and some other guy, and b- before yeah. they were kind of messing around, you know, Jay Wong and this lesbian girl and uh, Maitland, and I guess there was another lesbian girl there, and they started doing stuff, and then these guys that just kind of wander into this lesbian bar, having drinks, and they'll go over there and start getting on with them and swapping partners and everything but else. I loved, I loved the innocuous Spanish or the innocuous Latin oh, bartender. Waiter. Yes. Waiter. <laughs> he was great. I loved his reactions, too. He did like, some spit takes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, I'm not interested in sex for the first 15 minutes of this thing. I'm like, oh, he's just doing some, like, he's doing some stick. Yep. But, of course, you know. You know. But that film, is the, like you said, that is the only scene in the entire film that I care about. The rest of it fucking sucks. Yeah. Another story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's horrible. That, that begins with the worst Longest, oh, longest. When he's giving the monologue to them, and he, you know Carlos Tobolina, he obviously is a um, emigre and he doesn't speak very good English. He's kind of broken, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he writes these scripts that usually in the beginning he was given to this moron named Nina Faust, who I swear to God, English must be her fourteenth language. Uh, she could not <laughs> worth a damn. She could not read cue cards worth a damn. And is this weird, Nina was, from the epic Senator Marilyn thing? Yes. Yes. Yeah. If she is talking a sentence, 
she will talk like this because she does not know where to put the emphases. Uh, and horrible. And anyway, he goes and gives this uh, line to himself. He's actually in the movie. He likes to pop up like you know, Ursat's porno Hitchcock, if you will. And he's sitting there talking to Maylin and Serena. They're like sitting there in chairs, and he's at his desk. I know that scene, but this. Ridiculous! It didn't bother me that as much as you. No, Alien, you are hot, and Sarina, you are very hot also, and the men love to to fuck. And which one of you will be the best? Can be in my film. And at the end, he goes and puts a book in the back and gives us some money. Oh, you will both be in the film. Unbelievable! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that didn't bother me as much as scene two. They're in this big fucking diner. I don't know where they shot this thing. They must have closed someplace for the night. Yeah. There's this big fucking diner. Yep. I mean, it's just, it's just not a set. It's actually, it looks like a no, diner. No, it it's, it's a restaurant. Big. Diner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they can't afford this. And, I mean, bef- three minutes into it, like, hands are in orifices. Yep. Um, there's, like, 15 people in there, a lot of familiar faces, maybe one or two we don't know. And... And it's like a huge, like, weird, discombobulated orgy. And it's like this thing goes on for like half an hour. And well, it's like Tobin it doesn't work. In it. Yeah, it's terrible. One of the things about Tobin, first off, he is a bottom feeder. I always mention that in my reviews. His pornos yeah. are some of the worst ever made during this era of porno chic. I mean, it's like somewhere between the Ed Wood and the Andy Milligan of uh, porn, but without the things that make those two interesting. He's just kind of a schmuck. Uh, the only thing that's funny about him is he comes off like a jolly uncle type. Like He seems like he's really friendly on camera, and yet from stories I hear behind the scenes and from the kind of films he's making, obviously he wasn't. Uh, and he loves, loves orgies. And they're not good orgies. They're kind of like somebody went around the bedroom with a with a camera uh, or, you know, like a hippie spot around and like just any old person, you know, ugly people, famous people, whatever, going and bawling away. I remember there was one where he had some huge fat girl walking around. I'm like, what's she doing there? Why do we want to see this person? Uh, he cast his relatives. I know Hernan Tobolina shows up in a lot of them and just kind of wanders around with the camera and films a couple seconds or whatever. And when you get to final film, it's disjointed. Like if you actually like seeing a couple screw, good luck. You got two seconds of it here and eight seconds at the end and you're done and then he changes the scene the reason is because much like Jeff Franco he takes those words and uses them over and over and over again in other movies so you'll be watching like one he's set in I don't know what Las Vegas or something and all of a sudden there's one that's in you know Los Angeles or Puerto Rico from three films back that you remember or six films back oh wait there's the guys there's this cast of Marilyn in the center and here they are and you know whatever uh, her car yeah. touched it's really, really cheap ass crap, and he'll do a bunch of films. But when he makes one that has famous people in it, he has to make three more that have no names in it. And like, it's like, why did you do this? None of you are aesthetic. There's no nice locations. They're ugly. It's poorly shot, and yet you know, Vinegar Syndrome cleans it up and it looks gorgeous for what it is. But it, he's really a, a no talent. He's really the bottom of the barrel. And yet somehow they got their entire library probably for fifty bucks, and so they put them out every month. And it's gotten to the point no, where, like, yeah. You know, I would, I I would love to know the story behind this because they're still putting them out. They just put out yeah. a few more. Yeah. In the beginning, when he first started putting out things like you know Jungle Blue or Marilyn with a Center, I'm like, what is this shit? This is awful. These are the worst pornos I've ever seen in my life. Right? And you know, and this Nina Faust person, good lord, horrible, horrible shit. 
But yeah, yeah, she even and, gives bad blowjobs, which is part of the story, isn't it? I think it is part of the story. Yeah. Yes, one of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, like that's why Sharon Thurston to, to do, show her how to do it. <laughs> right, right. I don't want to do. I don't want to blow. I don't know how to blow. I don't know how to suck a dick or some shit. <laughs> and like Sharon Thorpe was like the resident, like on the sign, like prostitute that the Sarah's been fucking. And she comes and blows him and gets hard, blah blah blah. But for oh, some awesome. reason, and this movie's two hours and fifteen minutes long. And you remember they get that guy because remember Nixon and Creep and all they were kind of knocking. So they're this like dirty little man who's kind of like. Um, Oh, oh Queef, they call him. Yeah, yeah his name Queef. And he sits there, and you actually got to watch this guy, like, smacking his dick. I'm like, really? Come on. And he's just sitting there by himself. They could have cut that. Horrible, yeah. horrible. Films. But later on, as it started going and going and going, and I'm sitting there through Iris Medina films, ugliest woman on earth, I swear to God. Uh, <laughs> really butch and scary. <laughs> uh, on and on and on. And she, and she has this whole film that she narrates. It's unbelievable. Um, one bad film after another. It starts getting like you're punch drunk, and all of a sudden I'm like looking forward to them. It's like the first ones I put on every month when I get them. Like, oh, it's Tobolina films. Okay, that's the first one I'm going to throw on you. Know, my, my wife goes uh, works like one Saturday a month, so that's when I watch these things because it's like she doesn't watch this shit. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> that's when I watch the porn. I'm like, oh, Tobolina's first. There we go. Start off the day right. <laughs> So it's always like eight in the morning on a Saturday. I'm sitting there watching this crap. But you know, after a while, you start like really enjoying it. And I'm actually at that point now where it's like, oh great, when's the next Tobolina coming out? <laughs> oh no, they're garbage. They're absolute garbage. Uh, Sov quality. But they garbage. look great. But they look great. Oh yeah, they're beautiful. <laughs> uh, um, oh, I just remembered the name of the actress I was wishing for before, and I completely had like a brain fart. Jesse St. James. Jesse St. James, yeah, I know you liked her too. Uh, again, not a fan. But remember, uh, people who don't know me, you yeah. know the story. I used to be a big blonde guy back in my teens and early 20s. And I guess after you've had enough experiences with uh, you know, a certain kind of woman doing certain kind of things to you and kind of messing you up, uh, you know, I've long since gotten past that. Now I'm all about red Yeah, hair. yeah, it's called my, ex- it's called my ex-wife. <laughs> Exactly, you know, dark hair girls, like that. I, I will not even. If you notice when I do reviews, I barely even comment on blondes unless it's somebody that's really, really attractive. Even if it's a dummy like Shauna Grant, where she's a horrible actress and a yeah. horrible person to have sex with, yet uh, she was, you know, super attractive. So I'll mention that. Otherwise, if blondes, yeah. I don't even notice half the time. You're mentioning people I'm like what? They're in that film. <laughs> but you know, the, the only thing about Jesse St. James, I, I'm not a huge blonde fan. Actually, I really, really, don't kill me, I dislike Saker. Oh, I hate um, her. I hate her. People love she never her. did, and she never does anything for me. I'm sure you're a nice lady, Saker. I had but, a friend who used to work for Media Blasters, believe it or not, and he would always go on about Saker. That was his big thing. He loved her. He's like, oh, yeah, she really gets into it. You know. I'm like, okay, I'm just not seeing it. I'm sorry. She's just, you know, she's got that southern accent. I'm not seeing it either. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't get it. And my father loves Sika. I remember him talking about it years before I even saw this woman. I didn't see this woman until, like, you know, whatever, 2000-something. But, damn it, back in the 70s, my father was like, oh, yeah, Sika. Oh, he had to think of Sika, apparently. Like, why? Why? <laughs> why? Well, like, what's that movie? Uh, with um, fucking Jamie Gillis and Dracula. Uh, oh, Dracula sucks? The better one. Uh, that's yeah, the one yeah. 
Yeah, Serena's in, uh, sink is oh, in yeah, that. Oh, yeah, he pees on and, her. That, that's my favorite part. They put it in, like, red shift so you can't really tell what's going on. He's, like, in the bathroom, and I guess it's supposed to be biting her. But she's, but like she's like actually urinating on the girl. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's in some transgressive cinema. But I guess. But... The funny thing is, like, what, what's the other safer movie to quote from? Uh, Prisoner of Paradise with John Holmes. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's another Jay Wong in that one. Somebody else going by Jay Wong's name, but it's not the same one. It's not Jay Wong. Wow. Yep. She yep. hot. Yep, I liked her. You could tell but we like Asian girls, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's not the same Jay Wong. There's no way. No, uh, yeah, this one was not the same. Yeah. Was she, exactly. was she Korean or Chinese? Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. She's I... Japanese. That's right. She was a Japanese. Japanese. Girl. Yep. But, and we're not Japanese. talking about the one in the beginning that John Holmes balls in the flashback. We're no, talking no, about no, no. when he's trapped when, after the, the Nazi girls. Were, it's a ridiculous movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, but after they kind you of stick him out in the shed and tie him up, this girl lets, sets him free. And th- that's who this one is. She's like a fan. She's a Japanese. Yeah, it's a really smoking scene, like one of the best in like the John Holmes legacy of film stuff. Yeah. And But like Seika, like the big cheese in this fucking movie, she's horrible. Yep. Oh, and that's another direction. I actually just thought when you were talking about this movie, Bob Chin, I like him a lot, but not because he's like a fantastic director. It's more of he's got this touch to it where he knows it's kind of like, eh, whatever, it's all tongue-in-cheek, and therefore he's got a great flair for comedy. I found a couple of his films, Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls was one, and the other one that just came out last month that I reviewed, I forget what the hell it was. Uh, Actually, there was two of them. Uh, There was a double feature that they put out this month. Um... Really like eighties teen sex comedies, but you know, with porn, uh, amusing stuff. I, mean, I I do like Chin's films. I would not consider him on the. I like Chin's movies. movies. I like Chin's movies. I, I I'm not dissing this movie because it's a Chin movie. I'm dissing Seika's performance in this because yes, well, she's supposed to play like a Ilsa type chick, you know, like a. Oh, yeah, good luck. You know, <laughs> and you know who's worse? The other they, girl with it, that other blonde. She was so over the top. Of my really. I don't even know who she was. She was so bad. Uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, yes, we must torture his cock. Please, get out of here, lady. Yeah, was it Laurie <laughs> Sanders or somebody? I don't know. Somebody else. Uh, or, and, yeah, just, and she has it's a not a ride. She had a C-section scar besides. Like, this is gross. At least yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. I don't think we can get to it tonight because I was more of an 80s guy. Aja. Uh, was a kind of a hot, you know, I think she was Polish girl. Uh, always stoned, but very pretty and kind of a bulbous nose. Um, she had a C-section job, and she, at least she had the courtesy to always try to keep it covered up. So she'd be butt-ass uh, naked, but somehow she had something wrapped around her so you didn't see it. This film. You know what's very good in this movie, though? <laughs> what? You know who's very good in this movie? It's Holmes. Um, yeah. Yeah, for him. Bob was, Chin really, no, Bob Chin has him like, Jumping into the surf, swimming onto the shore, climbing fucking rocks, walking around barefoot. I mean, it, he actually there was actually do a, a lot of physics. There's a couple yeah. of Chin films that had John Holmes in it, and every one of them got the best performances I've seen out of Holmes. There's no question. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget, Chin did some of the Johnny Watt films too. So. Uh, yeah. This Most I don't know what it was. Maybe he liked them. You know, maybe they were like pals or something. But because I mean, remember in Hot Saucy Pizza Girls, they were like together. They were like the Counter Boys or whatever. It's like, oh, here's my buddy Bob, <laughs> and they said they were brothers. And it was like, you know, that was part of the joke. Because obviously, you know, Bob Chin is like Hawaiian or Asian. Well, I think and it's they, like a synchronicity. I think it was a synchronicity between us two guys. You know? Yeah, 
always if you're gonna watch a Chin film that has Holmes in it, that will be the best you see Holmes because Holmes is usually just stoned and drugged out and has no idea. He doesn't care about his lines. He's just gonna flub them. And here I am. My, my whole thing is my giant penis. Uh, whereas when you get a Chin film. You might get at least some comedy out of him, a little bit of acting, a little bit of whatever. Well, it's, it's, not necessarily. Probably one of the best non-Chin Holmes moments is in uh, <laughs> the debatable good uh, first Candy movie. Oh, I hated those Candy films. I'm sorry. Uh, I know Gil Palmer worked is, in a lot. but <laughs> Well, it's, it's actually a Bob Chin movie, I think, where Gil Palmer's name thrown on there. Oh, Gail Palmer's name's on it, yeah, but I did not like this candy yeah, film. Yeah. That's not the first one. People like the first one better than the second one. I thought the second one was a better film. The only thing that was good with the first one was the whole joke with uh, Don Fernando as the gardener. Because, so, you know, I just got a kick out of Don Fernando. Again, an 80s guy, really. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But another John Holmes scene I always thought was hilarious because uh, I thought, like, wow. Because, uh, you know, it's funny, if you read enough bios and autobiographies and stories about John Holmes, it's like the guy had a hard time getting hard. And he actually, oh, Candy, yeah. uh, she did something for him, so it actually worked. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the problem. I hear that a lot from even the ladies that yeah, talk about this stuff. It's like, yeah, you know, that's the thing. You know, when you're when you're that much bigger, sometimes you, you can't really get it stiff. <laughs> he was always like a limp noodle. Uh but, yeah, I mean, he was just kind of a wreck in a lot of ways. As, as anybody who's seen even something stupid like Boogie Nights would know, uh, it's kind of out there, you know, Wonderland, whatever. Um, but anyway, in terms of, like, directors from that era, we mentioned most of the good ones. There are a couple that people talk about a lot. Armin Pashar, I don't know, he's got some kind of thing about bathrooms, doing girls in the toilet. Uh, I never understood that. Uh, and then you've got Alex Dorenzi, who people love – I don't understand him at all. He's very messed up. Uh, and he seems yeah. to have seen him in interviews on some of these discs, and he's even more messed mm. up than his films. So it's just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I just don't get the appeal there. But people love him, you know, and he does make quirky films. So if you're looking for something that's, okay, well, I want to rent a porno, but I want to see something that's really odd and you know might make me kind of scratch my head or who the fuck would make something so insane, then there you or go. Or maybe but, something a little dark. Yeah. Yeah, dark too, but just wrong, very wrong-headed. Uh, and you know wrong, the fact that he did that, the fact that he did that damn Long Jean Silver is like, all right, that's it. I'm enough of this guy. <laughs> that horrible film. Which one? Long Jean Silver, exploitative to the max. Oh yeah. And I love exploitation films. I was just like, wow. I mean, the fact that the girl broke down crying at one point when she was trying to talk about how hot it makes her or whatever, it's just, wow. And this is on film. I'm like, uh, you think you cut that out? Maybe doing the take? You know, you really, you're shodden for it or this? You want to, like, see this girl suffer? I mean, thanks. Love you, guy. So I have really no respect for that. But, um, and that's kind of it for the big names that I'm thinking of. Because, you know, once after that, you start going to the 80s. And the 80s were questionable because I really like the stuff from the early to mid 80s. You've gone up to like 85, 80, 84, 85. Uh, but mm. you had this concurrent thing of, and I didn't mind the early video productions. They were still trying to make sort of films, even though they're more goofy and more SLV. But you had the film productions. And you had these video productions. And then after that, it just, I don't know if it was the crack epidemic or the fact that they were on video or what it was, but it all just, maybe it was the Lord's scandal, I don't know. But somehow it all just kind of went down the toilet. And you get things like, you know, Pretty Peaches 2 and 3 that shouldn't even be exist. Oh, they're horrible. Yeah. What horrible. happened with that? Oh. 
I don't know, but it, but some of those people, like you know, the Dark Brothers, you know, my, my drummer loved them. I thought they were just strange, you know, some issues there, Gregory Dark and all. But you know who I did get a kick out of, and, and again, he also a fucked up guy. But Bruce Seven, uh, I remember my father had a copy of Loose Ends, and I'm like, this movie screwed up, but somehow there was something like charming about it in a weird way. <laughs> And he yeah. felt like that. And, you know, of course, he was involved with Bianca, who, again, my drummer loved her. I, I came to appreciate her. Uh, sort of a half-assed Aja, but without the without being as stoned. But uh, same idea. Um, you know, I don't know how much uh, more we can get into here. But, you know, go ahead, because this was your topic you wanted to tackle. So, uh, is no, I think, I think this is a great show. I, I hope people are digging it. I, actually, it's coming off much better than I thought it would. And uh, I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> like I said, I know what I know. I mean, basically, I am more of a guy for the nudie cuties, the burlesques, the cult films, the sexploitation. No, no. The porn. Yeah. And then, you know, I was very familiar with this 80s stuff, obviously, like I mentioned. But, uh, you know, because of these reviews from Vinegar Syndrome, I'm obviously getting a good education in this porno chic stuff. Uh, like I said, my friend worked with Media Blasters at one point, and I, they actually put out briefly, they had a thing called Raincoat Theater. And they put out some of the big movies. Uh, I remember Neon Knights was one, which Roberta Finley worked camera on. Uh, that did was they see? I didn't know, but I didn't know they did that. Wow. Yeah, very briefly. Okay. Uh, I think that one, Miss Jones, was one of them, Insatiable, the Marlon Chambers film. Uh, maybe like one other one, I forget. But they weren't around very long doing this. Uh, but, yeah, but that's my problem with media blasters, because I run into Carl all the time, uh, twice a year, and I'm, I was in, I was going to do a big article on some uh, hentai or uh, yeah, you know. Well, they kind of get bombed in the uh, barrel hentai, so it's not quite the same as you know saying, "Oh, look, Angel of Darkness or Soki Doji, Mystery of the Necronomicon, and Media Blasters." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I was like, "Well, you had like forty titles out. I can't find anything online." Yep. But we don't carry them anymore. So where They're are all they? Who knows? Like, um, you. It's like the company, <laughs> half of the stuff disappeared. They had some decent Toho stuff they put out. They had some decent Italian ones. You it can disappeared. Still get... Latitude Zero. Yes, exactly. Latitude Zero. Zero. I, I love that one. I never got a yeah. copy of it. So now it's impossible. Uh, but, you know, the Italian ones, you can still get copies of, like, you know, Zombie 234, you know, Barrel Ground. Yeah, like, yeah, dirt. and that's what they bring to the shows. And... You know, that stuff's still out there, and they're but... cheap. But the Toho stuff is gone. A lot of the anime is gone, at least the good stuff. Uh, a lot of the I slash no films are gone. What happened with this stuff? Maybe they, maybe they, I don't know. Who knows? If you're listening, Carl, will you freaking answer my question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, actually, one guy I wanted to discuss. I think I might have mentioned him briefly. You know, we talking about actors. I always like Richard Pacheco a lot. Yes, actually, Pacheco was. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if he was like on the same level as the guys we were mentioning earlier, but yeah, Pacheco was decent. No question about that. And you know who yeah, was kind of Pacheco. A good sense of humor, kind of a guy. Again, not a fantastic actor, but it was like when you saw him on screen, you knew it was going to be like, okay, it'll elevate a little bit from being so seedy and be a little bit more warm hearted, if you will. I mean, talk about porn here, but you know, relatively speaking, was Herschel Savage. Uh, he was always kind of uh, almost like the doofy uncle type. <laughs> yeah, Herschel's still working. Yeah. But you know, tell me about <laughs> that Pacheco you're talking about. Yeah, Pacheco, I was always interested in him because he did the. I think the first time I truly noticed him was in Easy with Jesse St. James, with the name I forgot earlier. And then Talk Dirty to Me, with he was paired with uh, John Lindsay. They were like right. these uh, best friends. 
And then there was like a sequel. There were, those are both Spinelli movies. And mm-hmm. I think they won some like awards and shit. And it's funny, like I, for some reason, like when he would pop up, I started taking notice of him. And I was like, you know, this guy's interesting. He's like, he could play like the nerdy boy next door. And he can also play an arrogant fuck. <laughs> True. And so he wrote this, this like, did you believe it? He wrote this, I don't know if you're listening, Howie. He wrote this 800-page autobiography, which I read last uh, spring. And, you know, it's it's really good. It's really good. It's got a lot of stuff in there. And the, the, I, I was fascinated just to read. I thought the best stuff to read was like, I got to go do this shoot. I have like the most beautiful woman in the world. I have to fuck. I can't get it up. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and the guy, the director's being really patient with me. I just, you know, I can't get hurt, which is, you know, this happens to men all the time. <laughs> and, and it's like, uh, well, yeah, it doesn't if you got a camera crew standing around you. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help if you have a camera crew standing around you. And, you know, there's not always fluffers. You know, I was like, oh, it's great stuff. Though. It's like, it's, I found him a very interesting person. And I appreciate him a lot more. <clears throat> and also, he was very forthright about all these other coworkers of his. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I and the funny thing when it who I was mentioning earlier when you learn more about oh was it Joe Leslie what I said when you watch his more movies you're kind of like ah, I don't want to watch him so much <laughs> I have that Richard Pacheco movies now like well I think I know the guy I don't want to see him fuck <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can but, hear that uh, yeah 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 um, but I will say so that this is a general rule of thumb uh, yeah. the Porno chic era per se was really the to me the mid seventies going into the very very early eighties maybe like eighty one because uh, you know you things like Neon Knight still coming out and then it shifted and you started getting what I came in with or you know at least I discovered later and enjoyed uh, which was the stuff that this guy was bringing over all the time and so forth uh, yeah I mean I ran some myself obviously too when I could but you know this was mostly from this guy bringing shit over all the time and laughing about it. Uh, because I felt like you got a new guard coming in, a lot of whom, at least to me, you know, growing up in the 80s and all that, were better-looking people, <laughs> at least better-looking women. Uh, and therefore, you had some of the old guards still there. They were still acting in these things. But yeah. then you had the new yeah. ones coming up. Too. And it was kind of the dawn of, but before it really became like oversaturated and really artificial, of the vivid queens. You know, like you got people like Ginger Lynn and stuff like that. Um, and you had... You know, even just like nameless redheads, like you know the Brandywine and Mandywine, so like people that were like, okay, yeah, these were girls like you went to school with or you knew from college, wherever the hell it was, that were kind of like hot and had the big hair, or whatever the hell, uh, nice bodies, and they're just like, okay, well, now they're doing porn, all right, fine, uh, as opposed to people that were actually you know theatrical and trying to act. In some ways, I think that's also what brought it down and brought an end to this. Beyond the stuff we mentioned before, like, you know, who knows, the AIDS crisis, the Lord's thing, the the whole um, idea of shooting on video. 
was the fact that the real directors and the real actors, you know, theatrical types were kind of getting weeded out, getting old, going away. And you had younger people like, you know, the infamous Mark Wallace and, uh, you know, Tom Byron and people like that coming up. You know, I mentioned before Princess Puppy, you know, Prince Wap. Well, yeah, exactly. And before before we end the show, I think the the one thing I learned and uh, which was the, the true reason for a lot of huge drop in quality in many ways, was when video came into the scene. When video cassettes came into the scene, there were a lot less venues to show these movies in the theaters. Right. And they paid them less, the actors, the producers, the directors, whatever. Right. So video being big, huge, they're like they're paying them fucking $200 as opposed to paying people Eight hundred dollars for a day, then they'll say I'll give you two hundred dollars. Yep. So, you know, the, the, the shot on video, shot on videotape, drop in quality and in, in, in not only stories, ideas, production. Now, granted, there were some good things, you know, some decent things that happened, you know, from that period, the later period. But yeah, it kind of all ended when video became huge because. You didn't have to go to the theater. Right. And you I understand. I actually read something recently that first – and you know, I always tell people that the VHS boom was spurred by porn because people didn't have to go to the theaters anymore. They could just go rent the stuff in the privacy of their own home exactly. and go to yeah. places where sometimes you didn't even have to de- take the box. They just had like you know X142, and you remember the number, and there you go. That's actually Tom, and they give it yeah. – um, but – uh, you know, and then later on, the uh, DVD boom was really based on cult horror. I mean, that's kind of indubitable. That's that's what drove it. Uh, and to the, to this day, yeah. the guy's not still around. That's what's driving it. Uh, but in terms of the whole porn decline thing, um, yeah, I mean, what happened with the video stuff? Even though I enjoyed a lot of it at that period, you started seeing a lot of parodies. So you would have, you know, the Poonies instead of the Goonies or, you know, um, I don't even remember, you know, Beverly Hills Cox or whatever the hell instead of Beverly Hills Cop or, you know, whatever it was. Somehow they would lift off a title of something that was popular, whether it was a TV show or a movie or whatever. And that's a trend that goes on to this day to some extent, but that's where it started. But you know and what? It that peaked, was kind of like it peaked the, and it just – yeah. I think, it, I think it peaked and disappeared and just only recently came back. But, but that I was think kind one of the most. Dis- of like yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Now it's starting to get a little dicey. So. The, the one of the worst, most transgressive and disgusting fucking things I ever saw was Texas Dildo Massacre. <laughs> Never heard of that one. But okay. Which is like a two and a half hour. Uh, who did it? Bruce Seven, maybe. And it has like everybody who was working in the industry at the time and it was just rough, vicious, nasty and bloody porn version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was like, Oh, why why would you even want to do this? Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, Seven had some issues. I mean, obviously he's dead now, but uh and I think he actually died from AIDS. Uh but uh, so it was kind of sad in that way, but you know he really had a twisted mind, just like the Dark Brothers, like I mentioned before, or Ambrey Pichard yeah. or Alistair Renzi. I mean, you got that breed of directors popping up in the '80s, and while sometimes they made stuff that you know people who enjoyed the stuff enjoyed, 
uh, a lot of it was it, it wasn't the same spirit of you know I hate to say liberation because a lot of this was just people making money and whatever exploiting people that could exploit but you didn't have the same vibe as all these theatrical types going there with somebody that thought was a halfway decent director and okay let's you know yeah we're doing this but we'll try to make it the best we can for you know the two people that might actually see it and recognize me uh, as opposed to you know what here give me my packet of cocaine and give me my 50 bucks and let me get the fuck out of here how, how fast can I get this over with yeah. uh so that's really what came about. And by the time you got past the year I'm talking about, once you got to 87, 88, 89, and forget about the 90s and beyond, uh, it just became like scum city. So, uh, you know, I, I have no words for the porn industry nowadays. It's gone beyond gonzo. It's just disgusting. <laughs> but as a rule. I mean, beyond gonzo. Yeah, I mean, amazing <laughs> shit that you hear. I'm like, what? Really? People watch this for, okay. All right. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Things have changed dramatically, and yeah, I mean, times changed as well, and things have gotten darker in the world, but I think that translated even to the darkest world of filmmaking as it were. So already, you know, right from the start, you had questionable elements involved and uh, questionable themes and the fact that they're doing this stuff on camera and whatever and being exploited whether yeah. they felt that way or not. Uh, for their bodies and for the fact that somebody's going to buy this just to beat off or whatever. Um but it actually got worse, uh, and that really kind of came about once you hit past the mid-'80s. And it, that, that's really kind of the cutoff right after that. It's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we came we came a long way from titillation and transgression to yes. where we are now. And uh, I think that's our show for tonight. Yeah. So uh, is there yeah. anything else or anybody else you wanted to address before we uh, close on out? No, I, th- I think we did we did a really good job. I think this is a really good show. Um, I think it worked pretty well. I think it, because we were unstructured. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way I always run things. And just go from the hip, and there you go. And, you know, like yeah, I tell yeah. people all the time, if, if you are some measure of professional, if you know your shit, then uh, it'll all work out anyway. may not be as polished as some other products, but it'll probably be more entertaining, and you'll get a lot more uh, quotable zingers. <laughs> And I'm sure we yeah, no, no. I, I, I had fun with tonight's show. We were we were in high hiatus, so uh, people know. But uh, we're back. We're back with a vengeance. What's our What's next week's show? Do well, we actually, next week we are going back to the well and trying to hopefully finish up the everlasting filmography. Talk about Tobolina coming back every month uh, of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're now we're getting up. into what more year? deep. Mid seventies because I think we got to like seventy four, seventy five last time. Uh, yeah, so that's correct. Yeah. we'll try to finish off his career because you know at, at this point he was still doing movies that we can talk about right up until the early eighties. But then he kind of started just doing porn and like when we talk about Joe D'Amato, a lot of that just kind of goes one from the other and really is there a difference? I haven't seen any myself, but I know that you have seen several. Uh, and <laughs> no, seriously, I'd like to, but I haven't seen them. Um, you know, I, I remember reading one of those Franco books. Uh, you know, like uh, we we're talking about Immoral Tales or whatever the hell, or uh, Mondo Macabro, yeah. the book. And they had a big chapter on Franco, and they mentioned movies like Shining Sex. I'm like, no, oh, I'd like to see that. You know, okay, never saw it, obviously. So, you know what? Uh, yeah, never saw Shining Sex. Oh my god. Nope. I'm serious. I've never seen a Franco porno, uh, but it's, I'd like to. No. So but uh, oh, it's all gonna lay on me, huh? <laughs> That's it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to tap the well there if you got it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. And then we got the stuff that his little comeback there, where he did films like Killer Barbies, and then started doing that shot on video stuff towards yeah. the end. Uh, 
so hopefully we will finish up finally the next week. Uh, for, okay, I believe. next week. Okay, good. Yeah. I believe it's only week eight of the show, believe it or not, even though we've had a couple of weeks on and off. Uh, so that will be next Thursday at uh, 7 p.m., people. Uh, anything else you want to close out with? No, thank you for listening, and thank you for being with us, and uh, thank you for being patient during our time off. Yeah. Um, Life happens. And it, I, yeah, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, it's a little different, but, you know, we, we like to juice it up every now and then, and we uh, shoot from the hip. It's like I said when we started the show up originally, uh, we are not just about film, and we are not just about cult horror. Uh, so, you know, other topics will come up. I know I'd already mentioned several times, eventually we're going to be tackling the British slap and tickle films, which are basically, you know, British sexploitation comedies, if you will. Uh, everything from, you know, silly stuff like Benny Hill to, uh, and, you know, are you being served or whatever, uh, straight down to, you know, the Robin Asquith films and, uh, ba- you know, Barry, uh, what the hell was his last name? Do you remember offhand? Uh, the, the guy oh, the Adventures films, or at least yeah. the first Adventures film. Um, I can think of all these names like Barry Lyndon, but you know, obviously it's not that. Um, no, no, it's two of Barry I know. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, 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 I know. so we'll be tackling all that. You know, Sue Longhurst, all those things. Um, uh, who's the one that I met? Linda Hayden. You know. So anyway, uh, and of course, famous directors you might recognize: Pete Walker and. Um, uh, oh boy, what the hell? Like, I, I'm just going off the, my, the top of my head right now. Who's the guy that did Prey and um, films like that based oh. out? I like his work a lot. Yes, oh very similar to Pete Walker, but not as dark. Uh, I can't think of his name offhand. He, he did like the I terror. He's better than Pete Walker too. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. some ways, he is. Uh, yeah, nice guy too. I've seen him interviewed a couple of times, uh, but I can't think of his name right now, unfortunately. Uh, so, I met him in person. The guy I can't we can't remember his name. Was he a nice oh, person? Seemed to be. He's kind of like a bookish English professor <laughs> with a good sense of humor. He's a bookish English professor with a typical English half mustache and glasses. Right. And he stopped. He stopped at my job about fifteen years ago, and he was looking for somebody else who wasn't there. He said, "Oh, I I've heard of you." I said, "Oh, really? Have you heard good things?" Yes, yes. I have a blank copy of my latest book. It was an autobiography. Right. And he said, I'll sign it to you. I, you know, I, I forgot to show it to you when you were here. Ah, damn. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And he, he signed it to me. And I said, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Will you tell so-and-so that I was here looking for him? Yeah, yeah. So he left and blah, blah, blah. I take the fucking book home. And the first page is signed by Sue Longhurst. <laughs> wow! Yeah, she pre-autographed the first page. Now there's another one. Like, Norman Warren. Norman Warren. That's his name. Yes. And yes. I'm like, holy shit! And no, I didn't use the Google or whatever. I, that was off the top of my head. I finally remembered it when you said that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, holy shit! You know, I was like, oh my god, this is like big. You know, I got a couple of things. A couple of times that happened to me. Yeah, people but, are looking yeah. for other people, and then they say, "Oh, you're, I heard you." Yeah, have uh, you? Yet another reason for us to get together again soon. <laughs> I got to see this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happened with Jackie Chung. You know Jackie Chung? Sure, I know Jackie Chung before he killed himself. Yeah, he's a famous uh, Jackie, Hong Kong actor and singer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jackie Chung was coming in. He was doing something, something, and 
Are you Louis Paul? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was... Look, oh, 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 hi. Yeah, sign this fucking thing for me. Yeah, I got like... Nice to meet Jackie Chan. You like, fucking died. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think the only uh, so Asian anyway. I've met was Shusuke Kanako and um, the girl uh, from the original Ultraman, uh, Fuji, whatever her real name was. Uh, very... Oh. To this day, as an older lady, she's still sexy and has a winning sense of humor. So, uh, hats off to her. Hey, you know what? I met Michelle Yeoh. Really? I can I, I can die. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to have a big thing for Michelle Yeoh. But anyway, that's another show. So uh, <laughs> That's another show. We have to schedule that one. <laughs> exactly. We have to chat off there. You know, we were talking about all kinds of crazy stuff, Doctor Who, Bond films. My wife says, you know, if you guys went on there and did that Doctor Who show, everybody would be trying to lynch me. <laughs> my opinion. Yeah, yeah, we have to do a Doctor Who show. We will my opinions about day. New Who are not common, especially among Whovians. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was thinking we'll have an interesting show. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening. We thank you for, for being with us, and we hope you like this show. Yes. And uh, like I said, you know, if you did enjoy it a couple of weeks from now, I'm not sure the exact week it's on, uh, we'll be doing the British uh, Slap and Tickle films. Actually, if I pull it up quickly, uh, chat for a second. I'll see if I can find out what week it is exactly. Uh, assuming our schedule doesn't move again, that is. Uh, let's see. It should be week... Uh, week 10. So, yes, not that far away. Uh, so, ostensibly, if we hold to a, a weekly schedule again, it should be around the end of September. Uh, the old six. So, um, but, yes, uh, next week we'll be back with uh, one more, hopefully, final dip, dip into the well of uh, Jess Franco's enormous filmography. And uh, yeah. we will see you next week. Take care, everybody. Okay. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening tonight. We hope you enjoyed our uh, discussion of the golden age of porn. Uh, if you'd like to join us here, uh, contact us here, comment, suggestions, or if you make your decision, you'd like to join us in air, drop us a line on our Facebook page. Search for us by Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine radio station. Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine brought to you by the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Peace out.
Right now, you can get a $20 prepaid Visa gift card by mail with the purchase of a Napa Legend Premium Battery. Its durability and power make it the obvious choice for people who hate getting stranded by a dead car battery. So pretty much everyone. The Napa Legend Premium Battery and $20 back. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. Limit two per household while supplies last. Offer ends 228 19